Hello and welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast. My name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilker. Wow, it's fall. It's fall. It's October 1st at the time of this recording. Yeah. How do you feel? This How is your season. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I uh, have yet to become super powerful because I'm still slightly jet-lagged. Sure. Uh, I'm still, as I texted you the other day, uh, every day I'm trying to stay awake and every night I'm trying to go to sleep, yeah. uh, which is still I, true. I will say your aura is significantly less Kentucky Route Zero right now, <laughs> so I think... I think we're halfway there. Yeah, I do. I do feel like mostly back at this yeah. point, which is nice. You're not just opening your mouth and releasing a G major chord and synth, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not turning into a giant eagle. Yeah, uh, exactly. But uh, yeah, I, you know, I woke up this morning. I, I got my uh, my patented Sunday morning bacon, egg, and cheese Ooh. on a bagel. Which was nice. Uh, the really good bagel spot right around the corner from me, which you've been to. It is really good. It is really good. Whenever I'm like in the Jersey, New York area, when I visit home, there's like a checklist of things that I have to do. And it's like, go to a diner, get pizza, and get like a bacon, egg, and cheese, or Taylor ham, egg, and cheese yes. on a bagel. Yes. Um, yeah, you're a Taylor ham person, not a pork roll person. You know, I'm very much not in favor of getting heated about arbitrary debates. I feel like mm-hmm. it's like a vi- it's become corporate to be like pizza's a sandwich. Like, yeah, uh, I was about to say the hot dog a sandwich thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But the Taylor ham pork roll. So I just think pork roll is an abomination of a term. You know, it sounds like either like a really <laughs> weird dance from like the era of flagpole sitting. Yeah. Or like a diseased like hunk of meat. Taylor ham sounds great. For the people who don't live in the New Jersey area or even in the United States of which there are so many of you who don't even live around or close to here uh there is a there's a debate specifically in new jersey only <laughs> that we're referring yes. to right now just to fill you in about this this one thing that you can get on a sandwich a breakfast sandwich specifically and it's called taylor's ham pork roll or something like taylor's pork roll and uh, there's been a debate for eons about what you're actually supposed a- to call aj it. and i are on opposite sides and we both accuse the other of being scalia-esque about the name of this meat uh <laughs> it's such a deep argument that when barack obama gave the graduation speech at rutgers university he mentioned it in passing oh really in his like opening yeah that's so, so funny. like you did jersey research for yeah. this for this speech incredible anyway i'm glad you're feeling more aligned with the east coast these days specifically the time zone yes i went out yesterday uh in a sweatshirt and like walked around manhattan and uh i was like oh new york in the fall it's coming it's like yeah. almost here what we're, we're in uh what what i call the fool's autumn mm-hmm. uh right now because i think tomorrow it's supposed to hit 80 degrees again and stay yeah. that way for the rest of the week but then i think after that we will be fully in it and i'm like so ready it's been nicely brisk in uh chicago chicago actually gets really nice falls despite being known for like terrible winters (laughs) it's just the spring that's like never real you know Mm. the spring is always just like a mix of global warming slosh yeah you know yeah that's kind of the case everywhere now but i feel like jersey got some good springs you know the garden state anyway (laughs) i think we're right at the like overheating threshold of jersey and weather talk (laughs) I think Jersey is like our eighth most popular state of audience. Like we're really pushing it, you know, <laughs> with the people who are like, ah, yes, Taylor Ham, ask Taylor Ham, <laughs> or they're leaving a negative review because they're pork roll people. Anyway, let's talk about the harvest. Let's talk about the harvest. That's right, you guessed it. We have both been playing Rune Factory Three Special on the Nintendo Switch. Yes, this is a 
re-release, remaster, all natural, vague term of uh, the Rune Factory. Organic. It's an organic. Organic. Yeah. Re-release. Organic re-release of Rune Factory Three, which was on the DS, which we played uh, for the DS episode. And actually, I was really happy when they announced this. So, for those who don't really know what the series is, Rune Factory is a spin-off of Harvest Moon. In fact, the first few games have the subtitle of Fantasy Harvest Moon. So, Rune Factory's pitch is has always been what if harvest moon was in a jrpg town while you're farming and doing your daily tasks and getting to know people and maybe getting married and starting a family there's also like a save the world quest happening right and it is one of my favorite ideas for a game and i think (laughs) they always get like frustratingly close but never like fully pull it off in my opinion like i love this series and I think you and I are like always like watching it. And I'm really excited for the next one. Because I think it just feels like all stars are aligning for like a big comeback for this series. Mm. You know, I think the the most popular ones I would say are probably four overall. Uh, four got a similar re-release called Four Special. Uh, four was originally on the 3DS and then got released on the Switch. And basically Four Special just had like a lot of quality of life improvements some like post-game content and uh you know that that is sort of like when you ask most rune factory fans like which one should i play it's usually that one yeah but something about three like when we did the ds episode i really loved the setting and the characters that was maybe like the largest amount of games played for one of our console episodes like we prepared for a solid year yeah and you and i both played over like 120 games many of which we like saw through or saw most of yeah uh, because a lot of this games were longer so like whereas the dreamcast our preparation time was a little shorter because a lot of the games were just like wacky deli or you know, like not wacky deli, I keep deli. <laughs> uh, a lot of the games are just like you know do the one thing as best you can because they're arcade games you right. know so you don't really need to spend like a dozen hours with house of the dead 2 although i think we did anyway yeah how could you not but with the ds like there were so many like long rpgs and there were a lot of games I played on the DS that I'm like, I really like this and I want to play more of it, but I don't see it making my list just because like there's already a better version of this somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I felt that way, you know, with three, I'm like, this is pretty identical in structure to four. Right. And I don't know if I would say like, hey, listener, go get a DS to play three instead of the easier one to get on Switch. Right. You know? <laughs> um, there just wasn't enough distinction there for me to like feel that way. So that's why I was really excited when they announced that they were re-releasing three. I'm like, this has the potential of being like the one for me because i loved Mm. like i loved the setup and and the setting and a lot of the characters and i was curious how it would carry over so i i'm really enjoying it so far i want to hear your thoughts about like the series and and this entry in particular we haven't really talked about how we're enjoying it off the show so i'm really curious like where it's landing for you yeah yeah so um i i would say like series wise you're you're totally right that i think you and i are just kind of in this space where we're like what one day one of these games is going to be so good that like nobody will be able to ignore it you know and to be clear like there are a lot of great entries but yeah it's just like there's gonna be that moment there's gonna be the one and i was i was hoping to god that that was gonna be harvestella when that came out like harvestella Mm -hmm. seemed like it almost had all the stars aligned harvestella if you haven't heard of it it's a game we talked about i think like last year or two years ago but it's it's like a square enix version of this it was like here's the people who make the rpgs that you love trying to do a rune factory uh and it was releasing on all platforms and you know was honestly i liked it a lot i thought it was pretty good but it just it missed out on a lot of the like relationship building stuff and a lot of the things that i think people come to expect and really like want out of these kinds of games i think it leaned towards the jrpg side of it more than the life sim yes yeah and and 
the the life sim stuff and the farming in particular got so like overwhelming and weird so quickly like i i find you know with games like stardew valley and and harvest moon and things like that you get to a certain point like towards the kind of mid to end game where they start introducing all these different machines and you can start to like automate your processes and stuff and that's like by the time you hit those points really a like kind of a nice to have quality of life feature you know it's like just really helpful in terms of like okay i don't need to spend you know, 14 hours a day just minding my farm so I can then spend the the remaining 10 hours like going and trying to talk to people. But you won't have enough energy to do that because you just whatever, whatever. That's the thing, too. It's worth pointing out is like this isn't like Animal Crossing where it's tied to our real time, like in Harvest Moon and in Rune Factory and in games going after that specific style of life sim. You have like a finite amount of energy per day. So if you're spending yeah. like the first three hours of the day farming, like you're going to sometimes go to bed at like four just because you can't do right. anything else yes exactly you know so in those cases it's nice to have all those automations and stuff like towards the end game because your farm has gotten so big and there's so much stuff to manage that it's nice exactly. to not have to like spend all your energy and time working on that when you are instead trying to like romance somebody or see you know some kind of story through especially in a game like rune factory or harvestella where you know there is a lot of story to to find in the like dungeon crawling and fighting and combat and all that kind of stuff um, but harvestella just introduced all those automations like almost immediately like within the first like five hours they're like here's a machine for doing this here's a machine for doing this and i was like i'm overwhelmed in terms of the amount of mechanics that you've given me and I haven't even fully gotten into like what the actual story is yet. So just kind of a weird, a weird thing. I, I think I'm, I'm a more ardent defender of that game than most, but even I can be like, that's not the one, you know, when we're looking for the one, that's definitely not the one. Yeah. Um, the other one that, that seemed, you know, to be kind of on the precipice and then ended up falling short was Rune Factory five, which is a game that I think most people, specifically the people who are fans of Rune Factory, like really just kind of did not connect with. It just, it, it was not finished to be blunt. Like I think, you know, yeah. you play that game on switch. I will say if you get it on steam, I got it on steam decks. It was deeply on sale. I just wanted to see like, how does this play on steam deck? versus switch it is a lot more stable oh nice so like if you do want to experience that game it's frustrating because i think there's a lot in rune factory 5 that shows like clear growth for the series yeah but it's just it's an unfinished game and they i think they are such a tumultuous development for it like this company that makes these games declared bankruptcy like not too long before yeah working on five so it just feels like that was not the right time and place for that game but again I love a comeback. I love a Street Fighter 6 success story. And yeah. I just feel like the genre is so popular, but also at this kind of point of stagnation. And they're working on the next Rune Factory as well as uh, a new like entry, like a new IP, basically. Yeah, it's like a, a spinoff of a spinoff in this case. It's like a Rune Factory spinoff. Xseed, the developer, right? I yeah, know it's, it's like Xseed and then published by Marvelous. Marvelous, right. So... I'm just hoping that that's like the comeback game. You know, yeah. I think there's probably a recognition that five like fell short and yeah. them re-releasing three as likely a way to keep interest in the series alive. And also like three is another kind of beloved entry from what I can tell. It seems like three and four are, are the ones. Three for and a lot four, of I think it seems like are interchangeably the best one to most people who are fans of the franchise. Like you, you really just kind of connect with one or the other and sometimes both, which is definitely the case in, in my case. But uh, just to circle back real quick. Sure. Using the word unfinished, I totally agree with in this case. Like I, I think I think some people will hear the word unfinished and they'll be like that, you know, because I think there are a lot of like weird gamers online who use that word to describe things like, I don't I don't know, like Starfield. 
you know it's yeah like, sometimes unfinished is code for i wanted more personally yes exactly you know, i didn't get enough cake yeah and i, I just want to be very clear that like i totally agree with you and when using the word unfinished on that game because it like very clearly was like yeah it, I, may, maybe rather than saying unfinished i should say they didn't get enough time to like see it through all the way it yeah. just, it's no i think i think you brought up a good point like the company went bankrupt while making yes. the video game and then had yeah. to release it specifically to try and make enough money to continue being a company like that that's a pretty clear-cut way of saying like they they weren't able to do as much as they wanted to do with the video but i i think what i what made me play rune factory 5 longer than i probably should have is just like you could see the vision for it yeah they almost got it that's the thing they almost got it and that's that's why i wanted to bring it up in in conjunction with harvestella because like harvestella and that are both really interesting entries in like taking rune factory this like predominantly 2d top-down kind of almost isometric cartoony thing and saying we're going to turn this into like a full 3d space um and that comes with a whole suite of different challenges right like taking this kind of game and bringing it into 3d means you not only have to figure out like okay how does grid-based farming work when you can move you know the the x y and z axes however you want but on top of that like combat it's going to have a totally different feel because combat's a huge part of these games because there is a huge like narrative drive towards like going and dungeon crawling so it just like creates all these different problems and and rune factory 5 like almost got there like for a game that wasn't quite there in terms of like achieving the vision i think that the developers wanted like they almost got it it was close enough like you and i talked about the game glowingly on the show despite the problems that we had with it that was also our introduction to the that's what i was about to say yes i I also think like that was the fact that that game in the state that it was in was still good enough for you and i to be like let's check out more the Rune Factory franchise, I think is a huge deal. I think it says a lot about like how close they got with Rune Factory 5. And that's why I'm so, as, as you said, so excited about 6 and whatever the spinoff is. Um, I'm just glad they get like another shot at it. And it's, I think if I was to guess, I would imagine they are hyper aware of the complaints because from what yes. I understand, like it wasn't only people in the US who were upset about the state of Rune Factory 5, but it was also people in Japan, like in the in the country where the game was made kind of as an outcry being like, we wanted this to be the one and it wasn't the one. And, and they seem to have taken that to heart so I'm, I'm excited to see what they come back with and i hope they take all the time and money that they need to do that that having been said it seems also like a really good way to generate a bunch of revenue for the company is to go and take the ones that people liked and then re-release them which is like a thing that i just wish more companies would do like if for games that aren't available or accessible for you know various reasons you know uh, in terms of like the video game preservation thing that you and i talk about all the time like just taking games that we can't access anymore for any myriad reasons and saying like we're just going to re-release release them especially when they're the ones that people want you know like for example i i bring this up a lot but like dragon quest has all of these entries that are just not available on modern platforms and are only you know their best versions are available on like the ds or the 3ds or whatever it's like where are those games just release them again on the switch you know um things like that like i just feel like we're so we're so close to other companies understanding exactly what Marvelous and Xseed have understood <clears throat> with the Rune Factory franchise because they released four special and you and I came back to the show immediately after that happened. We were like, this this is the one. Like if you want to play Rune Factory, if you're interested in the idea of like a Stardew Valley or like the farming side of Animal Crossing or like that kind of thing, and you want to blend it with like combat and story, that's beyond just I'm a person running. I I quit my big city job and moved to the far. Like if you want something a little bit more meaty than that, Rune Factory 4 special is 
the way to go. Like that was that was where you and I landed at that point. And then we went into the DS episode and it was like, oh, shit, like you can play the first one and and see a vision. You play the second one. You're like, oh, they're almost there. And then you play three and it's like, oh, shit, they got it. Yeah. And then four comes out on the 3DS and kind of becomes this definitive like this is Rune Factory to everybody. But that kind of leaves three in the dust. So like you, when they announced that three was getting this remake, I was like so stoked about it because three was the other one that I really wanted to connect with, but just didn't because it wasn't as easily playable as, as four was on my switch, you know, needing to charge a DS alongside my switch. Oh man, I only have one plug. What am I going to do? <laughs> no, um, I was just really glad to, to get three back. Uh, so I was excited when they announced it and then it, it released like minutes before my flight to Japan, which was great. So I just downloaded it uh, in the middle of the night uh, and then woke up and then flew to Japan. And uh, this is this is the other side note, the other sidebar. I wanted to play this and Fae Farm simultaneously. Fae Farm is, is another farming sim that just released recently by uh, Phoenix Labs, the developers behind Dauntless. And I'll just say on, on my end, that's not a game that I connected with very much. Um, I wanted to do kind of a back and forth, especially for The Harvest. I wanted to talk about like all of these farming sims that are releasing because um, it just seems to be a genre that is like exploding because I think, you know, we're now at the point where Stardew Valley has like such a such a grip on the farm sim genre that like everyone just kind of wants a piece of what Stardew Valley is doing, which I totally get. But I, I just think some games, I think, uh, achieve that better th than others. Uh, some of them, like Rune Factory 3, for example, which came out, you know, five, ten years before Stardew Valley, I think in some cases are more what I'm looking for out of this genre than even Stardew Valley is like Stardew Valley is a game that I connected with a lot. I liked it a lot. You and I did a bonus episode about it like years ago at this point. One of our first ones. Yeah, um, we liked it a lot. I mean, it, you you love it. I, I I enjoyed it. I played through a whole year of that game. Um, I think it's good, but I, I could never with any of these kinds of games, including Harvest Moon, I could never really like stay connected like I, I would have the moment where I'm like oh I'm in the loop I understand why people like this game and then that's kind of when I kind of taper off and I think the genius of Rune Factory specifically is just this idea that like there is this kind of larger overarching narrative that's going to pull you through it and in doing so in getting pulled through that narrative you're also continuing to engage with the farming stuff because the farming stuff feeds into the combat and the combat feeds into the farming and the fact that they're all linked together means that if any of those three things grab you and hook you and propel you through the game, you will continue to engage with the other aspects of it. And I think that that's kind of genius. Yeah, the way the way the systems are interwoven is really well done. Mm -hmm. And I think that's actually something that I like more because in Stardew Valley, they're all very distinct. Yes. And that's by design. I think the game is like, what do you like to do? Do you like fishing? The answer should be no. I know some people do, but th those are the same people that like Malort. You know, it's like I like fishing and Malort. <laughs> Sometimes I like stirring the pot. Um, <laughs> fishing's fine. I think the reason I don't like it is because I first played Stardew Valley on my Mac and using a trackpad for that is like... Oh, God. Like yeah. having a palette expander when you're seven, which I also <laughs> did. If you like fishing, you can do that. If you like this sort of uh, dungeon crawling, there is like weirdly a like kind of roguelike dungeon crawler fighting game in Stardew Valley that's like kind of totally optional. Yeah. I mean, you do need monster parts for certain crafting materials, but like that game, you can really focus on whatever you want, you know? So yeah. like for me, I kind of focused mostly on, I mean, I th you probably do need to do some version of farming and ranching just to make money. But eventually my priority was like the social part of it. So like once I had just like enough money to like buy gifts and I also invested a lot, like specifically in the ranch part of it. So having like chickens and cows and, and mm -hmm. a horse to get around faster, that part of it I liked a lot. So I was, a lot of my crafting was like mayonnaise and dairy products and eggs. Um, which is kind of 
funny that my gifts were just like eggs to people I liked. Um, but, I'd be very know, happy to receive a bunch of eggs. Do you know how many yeah. eggs I go through in a week, Stephen? It's a good gift. Uh, so I, I think for me, the loop was like, wake up, get some money, and then go visit my friends. Uh, but for some people, it'll be different. And I think I think that's why I started Valley. For me, it was go into the caves. Yeah. Just be a weird little cave goblin. Just spend exactly. all my time in the caves, which I think really does allude to how much I was going to enjoy Rune Factory once we eventually discovered it. Yeah, Rune it. Factory, it's like if you are... If you were walking around town, it's 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 almost comedy how many skills are in a Rune Factor game. Yeah. If you do sleeping is a skill, mm-hmm. walking around is a skill. This might sound daunting and like oh I have to worry. Like not it really just rewards you for doing anything. And yes. that's where your observation of the systems is so, is so spot on because like if you're just walking around and watering plants, you are somehow leveling up skills that apply to combat as well. Right. Which is so funny. Yeah. And what I really like about three, so just kind of give some specific details yes. on, on three. One thing that I think three is like much better at than four is it just gets you started so much sooner. Four has a bit more of like a chosen one narrative. So like it begins and you're on this like airship and it's like this in media res battle. And then you <laughs> fall into this town. This is, this is like opening of the game, not a spoiler. Yeah. Uh, you fall into the town. You always have amnesia, which also kind of feels like like a parody. I think that the series is like aware that that's like such a trope. It like circles back to being like a shtick, a you know? Yeah. Yeah, totally. But like the protagonist of four, uh, has amnesia and you kind of like Mr. Magoo your way into becoming like royalty in this town. Like a dragon is like, do you want to be Roy- Do you want to be the prince? <laughs> um, so like you're, it's almost like new leaf in that way. Right? I was about, you, I was about to say, yeah, yes, yes. You have authority in this town. You can like, uh, you know, I think you can like choose which events are happening, some stuff like that. But the larger the game plays the same way, like you have a farm, uh, there's like, you know, uh, monsters that are in the surrounding areas that you can explore. And there's a whole town full of people to get to know. What I like about three is that you are a weird goat who is also you are a human that can turn into a monster. It's not quite clear yet if I'm like I was a goat first and then became a human. But I'm this weird goat man that basically someone in the town finds and takes pity on and brings into this big tree where I live, which already sold. Yeah, I live in a big tree. Amazing. I like that versus the like weird like corner of the castle you sleep in in four. Yeah. It also like I feel like being a farmer in four started to make little or less sense because I'm like. I'm the prince. Like, surely someone else can do this, right? (laughs) (laughs) Like, I'm happy to help out, but like, it's a, it feels like this feels less like it makes narrative sense and more that this is just as a placeholder in the genre, Mm -hmm. which we talk about a lot. It's like these life sims don't have to be farming sims. Like, it, it works well. And I think it's something that people enjoy. And I also think like the farming in Rune Factory is really interesting because you can plant things that become like, uh, like there's a seed I got that becomes like a summon, basically. So again, yes, how the things interact. But in three, you're just this like weird lost goat man who someone takes pity on. And then you're in the town and they're like, okay, well, make yourself useful. Like there's a farm down mm-hmm. here. Do that. And when you meet everyone, they're like, oh yeah, you're the freak that lives in the tree. <laughs> you know. Like, <laughs> and I just think it, 
they just kind of throw you in right away, yeah. which I think for a life sim is there's just a, there's a lot of tutorial in four that I remember mm-hmm. and three just kind of I mean, it might in some ways be better to start with four so you can kind of learn how the game works. Yeah. But I, I because I already know, I appreciate how quickly three just lets you like go meet everyone. And, you know, mm-hmm. uh, they still teach you like how farming works and they teach you like how requests work. But I feel like I'm able to play the game sooner. Yes. I totally agree. I'm still early on. I've only been playing. This is definitely one of those games, too, where it's like an hour is actually four because it's just like the loop of it is so addictive. Yeah. I think this is my favorite one, though. I think this is like the one for me personally. Because mm. I just I think it feels the most like a random town in a RPG. Yeah. You know, four has this like castle, like royalty vibe to it, which is cool. This feels like a town you would wander into in the first 10 hours of a game. Mm. And it's like, oh, this is kind of fun. And then move on. But like. I like the layout of the town a lot. It feels very whimsical and it's like in this forest. Um, I also think I like the characters more. There's a lot of different personalities and like everyone is just much stranger than in four. I totally five. agree. Yes. Uh, like there's this artist witch who lives in the woods. Uh, actually, there are multiple witches. There's like this sort of, you know, everyone has like a fire emblem quirk where like there's the storekeeper who's like always tired. Yeah. Um, there's a the weird first person you meet after the person who gives you the tutorial is a little girl who always bites you if you talk to her. Yes. <laughs> and uh, there's a whole weird rich family that just speaks in opposites which like just feels like such a funny way like i'm sure that actually like they're so bored with their wealth they have to find something to do like (laughs) why don't we just say like oh have a horrible day it's like (laughs) this is your thing um but i just i've really enjoyed like i i feel much more like in in rune factory four and five there were like a couple characters that's okay i really like this character like in four there was like a knight who i thought was really cool and i like mostly focused on yes. her um and then in five there were the, the the cast in five is also pretty strong which i think was partially why i kept playing too mm-hmm. um but three i just think there's a lot of like really out there personalities that kind of like kind of like fire emblem where or three houses specifically where it's like you're given this like dash of personality you're like there's got to be more there's got to be more to this person than just like i speak in opposites yeah. or i'm tired so and yeah i've just i've just really enjoyed that like mechanically it plays almost the same as four so i think it really is just a matter of like which cast and setting you prefer mm-hmm. the one big caveat of three which is a huge bummer is that you can't play as a girl yeah which i think is like on one hand i recognize that like that was not in the original game and that would like i know it's more work than it sounds to add like another character and also have like bachelors to romance that all have their own stories too yeah but it seems like there are enough characters in the town that like they are already kind of there you know yeah like uh it, it does it feels like a game that's built to have dual protagonists in that way yeah it it's very it's very strange i was i kept waiting for the moment when they were going to ask and then they just didn't. And I was like, why? What's with all these eligible dudes? One of the most embarrassing things about talking about video games is that it was like an afterthought to play as a woman until like 2013. Yeah. You know, so like it is kind of like a cringy echo of of the 2000s to not have that option, especially in like a life sim in a relationship driven game. I think that that's like a huge disappointment and kind of the missed opportunity for this re-release. Yeah. But that's really like my only big gripe with it. I think honestly it looks I think it looks much better than Four Special 2. Like they made new 3D models for the characters. They did something to the backgrounds where it looks a lot like the Chrono Cross remaster where I imagine it's sort of like 
run through an AI. Yes. Sometimes it looks really good. Sometimes it looks like a little off. But overall, I think it like doesn't clash quite as visibly as four special does to me it has more of like a high fantasy vibe than uh yeah it looks kind of like a painting four does yeah. four, four four is like a little bit i don't i don't even know how to describe it but a little bit more metropolitan sure I think in, yeah. in some ways you know like, it's like a big city it's like a medieval city yes whereas this is like if it, it's very much like uh this is like a rural fantasy. Town. Yeah, but the specifically the point I'm, I I wanted to make is like the I, I think something about the kind of more rural vibe of the village in three run through that AI, which adds an almost painterly quality to everything, almost yeah. amplifies the original vibe of the game in a way that I think in a lot of cases that kind of just blanket like, oh, I don't know, just shove it into a computer and see what comes out usually doesn't actually help. In fact, it usually just makes things worse and becomes a thing that people complain about. Yeah. In this case, I just like I had this moment when I when I was uh, farming for the first time, like they're first teaching you to farm. They hand you the, the water pail and they're like, OK, go fill it up in, in this little like pond on your property. And I went over and like just the the weirdness of the way the pond looked because it was so like painterly, almost like the Photoshop oil paint filter. Yeah. And sparkling and stuff. I was like, this looks really cool. Like this actually has come around the other end and has like almost a new art style to it in a lot of ways. Uh, I, I really like it. I think it's really pretty. Yeah, I think it, it definitely is the best this type of presentation has looked, I think. Yeah, obviously, I would prefer like, again, a lot of work, but like the DS was pixelated. So I think like they had to do something. It, it reminds me a lot of the Ace Attorney ports where like, yeah, they do kind of have to smooth them over a bit. It probably looks the backgrounds probably look better on the original DS, but like I think this is definitely like the better way to play it mm -hmm. overall. Yeah. But yeah, I mean I'm I'm just excited to like chip away at this. Like this is also coming from my continuous Baldur's Gate 3 spell. It's nice to play something that's like lower stakes and yeah. lighthearted. With like a really um, easy loop to get into. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so uh it's been like a really nice routine for me. And I'm excited to get uh further into the game. Yeah, yeah, me too. Um yeah, I, I think like the the big question walking away from it for me is like if I if I'm to recommend a Rune Factory game to people, which one do I recommend now between four and three? And I I just don't have an answer, unfortunately. Like I really just don't know which one I would recommend to people. I think it really boils down to like which setting do you prefer? Do you want to live in a tree or a castle? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. Are you the city mouse or the country mouse? Yeah. Uh, exactly. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think I think that really might be it. Because um, I, I, I still honestly, like I enjoyed my time with three a lot when we played it for the 3DS. Like that was that was one of the games that I think. Or the DS. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. For the DS. That was one of the games that I definitely played the most uh, while we were doing that. But simultaneously, I don't I still don't know which of the two I prefer. So maybe maybe I'll report back as I play more of it because I'm, I'm also kind of sucked into the loop. It's such a good like TV game. Like you're, you have something on the TV because like once once you've gotten past the initial tutorialization and stuff and you're like in the loop. And you're like going into dungeons and doing that and farming and stuff like you can really just kind of turn your brain off for a lot of the experience. If, if you're not if you specifically like shy away from progressing the story a bit, you can really just kind of do the farming and do the dungeon crawling. And that's what I, I mean. I think I actually think it's tough to write a mundane story yes which is why i think a lot of life sims fall short because like there needs to be a lot of intention to that mundanity i guess for yeah. lack of a better word and also like it needs to be complemented with something high stakes mm -hmm. so i think like 
what Rune Factory does well is like at least the way three is set up is you're you know just in this town and most days people are just be like oh good morning like how's it going and there's like a very like natural like the, you know the dialogue is nothing like earth shattering but it's definitely like it puts you in the headspace of like being part of the community yeah and everyone is like you know you get to know everyone a little better but it's like very gradual and then eventually they'll be like yeah you know there's that tanuki in the woods wish someone would do something about that thing <laughs> and eventually yeah. you can go and bring a sword and try to fight it but it all feels like it's part of the same world yeah yeah i do i do think i remember that being one of our issues with rune factory 5 in particular was like once you get more into the story like it really does become a hey the world's gonna end if you don't do this plot which really does kind of betray i, th I think the like life sim aspect of the video game like it, it is really difficult to do and the same thing with harvestella harvestella gets very into that and i'm like why am i farming why would i do this at all it doesn't make yeah, any sense and i think I think we've said this a lot, Rick, in any writing, when the stakes just sort of balloon, it shows a lack of confidence in the story. You know, I, I, I haven't gotten deep enough into three or four to know if maybe those stories also eventually get there. But if they do, it's much slower. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so I think like if they did eventually get there, I would probably be a little bit more invested because I've like actually lived in this space for a really long time. Mm -hmm. Something that I'm a, a bit of a left turn, but, you know, we announced in our Dreamcast episode that we are going to start next season with a GameCube episode. And I've been looking into the games on that console and the Harvest Moon on the GameCube, I'm like especially excited to play given all our conversations about these types of games because that is the one Harvest Moon where characters actually get older and like which one is that, so, is that it's a wonderful life a wonderful life yeah, yeah. that's the um, one they just remade for switch right it came out in june wow i didn't hear much about the remake me but, either um, i wonder how it was received yeah because <laughs> that's a whole other rabbit hole of like who owns the harvest moon series these days because like yeah originally was the same developer was doing harvest moon and rune factory and then eventually harvest moon became story of seasons but that was also its original title right yeah it is still marvelous that owns story of seasons so it yeah so it's a weird situation but uh Mar marvelous the company that's publishing rune factory is also publishing uh story of seasons and all these remakes of story of seasons got it so did they also do the uh wonderful life remake yes anything that story of seasons is still marvelous i see but yeah, that that GameCube game, I just think I'm curious to see, you know, because I think one of the appeals of these games is that you have this sort of like worlds where nothing that bad ever happens. And it's this like continuous for everything you can check in on. Yeah. So having a game where like, it, it does change and possibly does like end definitively. Mm. I'm curious how that feels compared to other games in the genre. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I mean, I'm excited to play that one. That's that's one that I've been looking forward to for a long time. I played a couple of the other Story of Seasons remakes uh, on the Switch and some of the original ones on the 3DS when we did that episode. But A Wonderful Life is one that has been standing out for a long time is like you and i have to check it out eventually and i can't believe that yeah. switch version came out and i just didn't play i'm kind of wondering if i should just play the switch version first uh, yeah maybe we'll we'll look into what the differences are but regardless rune factory 3 i think is awesome uh rune factory 3 special i should say yes uh and it's it's nice again this is a game that could have been lost to time and now you can get it on your switch which is awesome you can get it on your nintendo switch period <laughs> that's it <laughs> <laughs> um, can you imagine if we ended every conversation about a game that way you can get it on your ps4 <laughs> spacer's choice baby uh yeah. all right let's uh let's take a break and then come back with uh something that is remarkably similar <laughs> okay sounds good bye bye we're back hello hey i want to talk uh more about 
hanging out in rural spaces. That sounds good to me. You know, it, 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 feel, it feels appropriate. Also, like, you know, the end of summer, the beginning of fall just feels like the right time to talk about uh, Crayon Shin-Chan, Me and the Professor on Summer Vacation, which is a game that I've talked about on the show before. So if you, if you don't know this game, it is a follow-up kind of spin-off kind of pseudo sequel to the Boku no Natsuyasumi series uh, which is uh, usually translated as My Summer Vacation. Um, it's a series of games that came out in Japan on the PS1 uh, and then PS2 and I think there's a PSP remake eventually but have never seen release over here or even outside of Japan. But the whole idea of that franchise is you play as this, uh, I think, nine-year-old kid who in the 60s or 70s, it might be the 70s, travels with his uh, mother out into the countryside uh, and stays with some family in the kind of like middle of nowhere rural Japan and just experiences the month of August in this space and you can kind of do whatever you want like it's really like go out and go fishing go catch bugs like hang out with the kids who live in town yeah sit on the swing set and don't do anything else for 30 days like you can kind of do whatever you want you can also i think consider this series like the godfather of the life sim genre in a lot of ways i think there were games before it and games kind of alongside it that tackled different things but i think you wouldn't have Animal Crossing without this game or, you know, Stardew Valley. Yeah, on this moon. The, d- the definitive uh, conversation about this game, or the definitive like text on this game definitely is Tim Rogers action button review of Boku yes. Natsuyasumi, um, which at the end in the in the last bit, first of all, just an amazing work that that video and you should yeah. watch it uh, regardless of if you're interested in the franchise or not. But at the end of the video makes a really compelling case for why Animal Crossing exists specifically in response to the development of this game because Boku no Natsuyasumi was in development for many years and was talked about pretty openly as like a big upcoming PS1 game um, and got delayed and and just took a longer time to make than they wanted so by the time I think the PS2 was released is when Boku no Natsuyasumi 1 came out but throughout the entirety of that development cycle right towards the end of it is when Nintendo spun up and then released Animal Crossing the first one, uh, which is very interesting, I think, to just compare those two and, and, and to follow that through. So it is possible that uh, that this game inspired Animal Crossing. Which I also, was, yeah, and you know, again, we talk about inspiration a lot on the show in terms of tracking influence, and I think it's all it's all kind of a guess at a certain point. Totally, you know, we're just interpreting it. But I I would also throw in Dragon Quest Five in the mix there in terms of like planning that seed of an idea of like having the story of like a family play out over time mm. and kind of being like relationship driven. Obviously it's more of a Dragon Quest game, but I I do I do think you can draw a line from like Dragon Quest V to Stardew Valley as well. Yeah. In terms of like that element of gameplay. That's interesting. That I feel like that could be a whole other episode of <laughs> I'm just. I, mean, I, th- I think that's a. I think that's a good point, and I'm going to put it on the table, and we'll talk about that again. I think sometime. it's also it's worth noting too that both Dragon Quest V and uh, My Summer Vacation um, have a finite end. They are yes. a fixed amount of time, rather than these endless games. Thank you for bringing this up, Stephen, because this is the big point that I want. I want to talk about. Um, I'm here for it. So. Boku no Natsuyasumi, uh, those, those games all are like, you have 30 days in August to just do whatever you want. And you can either experience as much or as little of the game as you want in, in those 30 days. That includes like talking to family members, talking to people around town, like seeing all of their little narratives through. And you can go through, obviously, play the game again if you want to. But for the most part, you just really have those 30 days. Eventually, 
this team that made this game uh, went and made a kind of spinoff version um, for the 3DS. It was called Attack of the Friday Monsters. That was like adjacent to a Boku no Natsuyasumi game, but was much more narrative heavy. It was very much like, yeah, you can run around this town and kind of talk to whoever you want, but there is like a plot and you are following the plot. And you and I talked about that game and loved it on the 3DS. Yeah, that's one of our favorite 3DS uh, entries. Yeah, I that game just like blew me the fuck away like i i just i really thought it was exceptional um yeah. and i i kept asking myself like man i really wish they like released more stuff over here because i i just like they just have such a clear vision in terms of the kinds of games they want to make and there's some stuff about the book and Asmi series that i think is so compelling and so interesting in stark contrast to a lot of the games that we play these days like yeah i mean talk about again like the skill required to have a mundane story feel important yes i, I don't want to keep saying mundane but i guess like low stakes is a better term where it's like attack of the friday monsters you get a stronger sense of character in like minutes and just like very little interact like just the fact that whenever the main character like talks to his dad and sort of this like implied strained relationship between his parents and the fact that he like wanted to be an actor mm -hmm. like all of that is like kind of sprinkled out over the course of like an hour or two yeah. which that would be like a very direct long cut scene in a lot of other games yeah. you know yeah you just kind of pick up on context clues yeah exactly yeah it, it has so much confidence that like you'll get it and i think it also has it really understands what being a kid feels like mm -hmm. you know it's a weird phrase but i just think like it's easy to lose touch with that part of yourself where like the world felt very fresh and unknown and fantasy accompanies every step of reality and i think when a lot of writers attempt to recapture that it feels really forced or it feels like it was filtered through like a marketing algorithm of like kids like this yeah you know everything we were shown in the 90s was like do you like guns and boogers you know like <laughs> i just feel like it's really <laughs> It's really refreshing to see <laughs> a game like this just be like, you know, it, it just captures that like kind of uncertainty and sadness and infinite possibilities when you're that age. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that's interesting about the action button video about that franchise is that conversation specifically about the idea that it's always adults writing stories about kids summers you know right. like he, he makes a lot of allusions to stand by me being another one that's like yeah of course literally diegetic in the film and in the text is you know here's this character all grown up writing and reflecting on that summer that all that stuff happened which i don't want to give away if you haven't seen stand by me, i don't want to spoil stand by me in this podcast stephen king is also weirdly good at this like i think yes. my favorite stephen king stories are when they're kind of like there's a horror or supernatural thing accompany accompanied by like a coming of age story yeah it's weirdly one of the reasons that christine is one of my favorite stephen king yeah. stories despite being maligned for very reasonable reasons i would say yeah that's like a thousand page book maybe 200 pages of which are about a car that comes to life and kills people and the rest of it is like here's what it's like to be this person in this town point being I, I think um, a lot of a lot of these games and a lot of these kinds of stories are frequently, you know, a, a, an adult looking back on this thing. And in Boku no Yasumi's case, it, it takes this idea that a lot of people have in Tokyo specifically of like kind of 
I, idolizing might not be the right word, but specifically like this group nostalgia, I think. Sure. Of the idea of getting away to the rural countryside in the like 70s and 80s before things were like modernized too much, quote unquote. Like there's just this kind of prevailing idea. And we see that in the States. We see that everywhere also, right? This idea of like, wouldn't it be so nice to go back and like experience oh, a yeah. simpler time where the iPhone wasn't a thing, you know, <laughs> like whatever. And I think Boku no Natsuyasumi is an interesting case where because it is very much a game written by adults looking back or having nostalgia about that period of their lives or that time period and in that place in particular, it feels that way. It feels like uh, the product of adults writing a kid. Whereas I think one of the things that's so interesting about Attack of the Friday Monsters is that it feels like they tried to get more in the head of a kid, as you were just saying, right? And that's why you have the more fantastical elements of things that are happening around town. Boku no Yasumi is very flatly like there is there is no fantasy happening there. You know, you don't you don't really get into Boku's head at all in that game, as far as I can tell. Yeah, you're really just experiencing things from almost like an objective point of view, you're like an observer of what Boku is actually doing, not what he thinks he's doing, but what he's actually doing. You know, maybe the most fantastical it gets is when you're like bug wrestling and there's like sound effects and stuff. But uh, outside of that. I think one of the things that's been interesting to me, at least, is going and revisiting the idea of the Shin-Chan spinoff of Boku no Natsuyasumi, which is the the only actual My Summer Vacation game that we've had released in the States um, or that just got localized at all. And it stars uh, a, a kid that you might know from manga or from anime who's named Crayon Shin-Chan. And he's just like this little five year old kind of like annoying kid like kind of like a rascal yeah Yeah. he's a rascal he's like a dennis the menace adjacent kind of kid um he just you know gets into all kinds of hijinks but i i played this game just purely out of curiosity it was before we played attack of the friday monsters and just kind of played it purely out of curiosity after the book natsuyasumi uh video had come out and was like i just want to know i just want to know more about this franchise and i played some of it and i talked about it on the show like i had a good time with it i I enjoyed what i played of it but um i definitely had a feeling that like it wasn't capturing the thing that i wanted to experience out of that franchise and i also didn't talk a lot about what happened or why i didn't think that it really connected with me so with your permission i'm going to reveal more about what happens in that game because i've been revisiting and having a much more interesting time yeah sure i'm done so attack of the friday monsters as we mentioned is a game where you play as a as a kid uh i think that's in the like 60s or 70s or 80s right who is kind of in a town that is becoming industrialized in a real way um it's like a very rural town but just outside of the outskirts of the town you can see in the distance because they're kind of on a hill you can see in the distance a large factory that is constantly like just shooting smoke out of the top yeah Um, and and it's not a coincidence they say they keep saying like on i think it's on fridays the monsters come out yeah and that's also when the factory goes into like overtime and is producing more smoke yeah they never explicitly tie the two together but you can kind of pick it up you know yeah yeah exactly and the game is very much about like the way the kids in town have kind of interpreted the industrialization of their town because they they don't i i think fully understand the like ramifications and the whys of what's happening there so a lot of it has become like a fantasy in their heads about you know like kaiju and kind of ultraman adjacent characters fighting in the distance instead of these big plumes of smoke um it's a great game it's really interesting it, i think it talks a lot about just like that space and, and that time and also like media and our relationship to media yeah. as well it's a uh, it's, it's a great great game and going and playing the shin chan game um there is a lot of fantasy in shin chan me and the professor on summer vacation which i think i think 
rubbed me the wrong way the first time I played it and is now a little bit more interesting having played Attack of the Friday Monsters and like really connected with it the way that the way that we did. The way the game starts is uh, you are playing a Shin Chan and his family is like, OK, we're going to go out into the rural countryside and we need to stay there. Uh, for a little bit I, I forget why I think they're like redoing their house or something but um, anyway they, they go they go out into the countryside um, and while they're at a train station a, a weird like professor looking guy the titular professor shows up and is like hello random family I have invented this new incredible device it's a camera and if you take a picture with this camera it will turn into like a like a crayon drawing uh, it'll just automatically like spit out instead of a Polaroid photo, it'll spit out like a drawing as if like a kid had mm. done it. And, and, uh, Shin Chan is like, I'm all over this. This is great. This is amazing. And <laughs> just taking pictures of stuff left and right. He's like stoked about it. And the professor's like, I'll see you soon. Ha ha ha. You know, and just like disappears into the background for some reason. So you go and you, and you start to experience the My Summer Vacation loop. Like you end up in this town and you can just like kind of run around, go fishing, get catch bugs, you know, talk to people in town, like learn their stories, their struggles. I, I think it's interesting that this game is coming like towards, you know, a, a kind of far end of the Boku no Natsuyasumi timeline in terms of the amount of games that have been made because they've added a lot more like drive. They've added a lot more like stuff to do that's a little bit more implicit instead of, you know, um, just kind of implied. So sure. there are like, you know, quest boards where you could like go to the guy who runs the curry shop and he's like, hey, if you happen to come across carrots, let me know. And oh, what? guess what? You stumble upon a farm eventually and you can start to like grow carrots if you want to. And then you can sell them to him and make money and use the money to buy stuff. You know, it, like there is a little bit of that loop. Specifically, one of the things that you can buy are these uh, chocolates that come with cards inside of them, which is very, very similar to the way the card game works in Attack of the Friday Monsters. It's like yeah. almost one to one um, just instead of the uh, characters from the like TV shows and stuff that you're fighting. It's instead dinosaurs, which I'll get to why that is. But as you start to make your way through the town and just start meeting people and doing things, um, Shin Chan starts to take more and more pictures with this camera, which start to fill up his like journal. Um, and eventually, like towards the end of the first week, you realize that you were only supposed to be in town for a week. So instead of it being a 30 day adventure that just ends and like has a definitive end, which is, I think, one of the most interesting things about those games is like you play through the whole game once and it's like you get an ending based on the things that you did. And that's your summer vacation. Right. And I, I think there's kind of a beauty to that. There's a beauty to that idea that like eventually the summer will end and it's just one of those things you'll look back on and remember fondly eventually. And like maybe you didn't do everything you wanted to do, but you have to take in stride the things that you were able to accomplish in your 30 days, which is very much how I felt, at least as a kid in that era doing, you know, like being off from school, especially in August, like right before you start school again, is like, I'm going to do as much as I possibly can in August. I'm going to go to the lake and go swimming every day. I'm going to hang out with all my friends. I'm going to play so many video games. I'm going to like go away. I'm going to do all of this stuff. I think there's like a real beauty to that. And Absolutely. it's kind of shocking when you're playing the Shin Chan version to find out that you only have seven days because it goes really quickly. It takes like an hour, hour and a half to go through seven days. And towards the end of the seven days, the professor shows up again and is like, guess what I did? And everybody's like, what? And you see a brontosaurus walking down the street and there's like an actual for real dinosaur. And it's not like, oh, Shin Chan's imagining it because he's a kid, like like what would happen in Attack of the Friday Monsters, because, again, he's only five. So he's like much younger even than the characters in Boku no Natsuyasumi or Attack of the Friday Monsters. Um, he's like five years old. So like it's plausible that he would be imagining this, but everyone in town is freaking out about the fact that there's a dinosaur. Uh, <laughs> and the next day you go to the professor's uh, lab and you're like, 
he's just kind of sneaking in while he's doing something. And he does like this kind of like little dance and he then generates a pterodactyl also um, because he found that people weren't afraid enough of the brontosaurus because he created like a leaf eating uh, dinosaur instead of a carnivore. So he was like, let me make something a little bit scarier. Because he's he- watched Jurassic Park. He knows how it ends. Yes. So he's taking his time. He's, yeah. he's taking it slowly, but he does. He does want to be feared. He does want to be known as like the greatest inventor, the scariest man in the world, whatever, whatever. And he turns around a- after making the pterodactyl and sees that you snuck in and is like, yo, kid, what are you doing here? Get out of here. I'm done with you. You know what? I'm actually going to punish you and I'm going to make it so you can never leave this town Uh, and puts like a a time traveling curse on you. So you have to relive the same seven days over and over and over again. And it creates a really interesting twist on the Boganaziasmi idea in that summer vacation never ends for Shinjan anymore. Um, I'm sure there's a way to end it. I just haven't found it yet. But at the end of the seven days, you just restart the seven days again. But Shinjan does take some of his knowledge back with him like there are certain things where he starts to comment on things that have happened or will happen in the town Um, and you start to be able to change things or unlock new places earlier than you were before because you've seen how to unlock them or you know how to unlock them already Um, and creates this really interesting little almost like metroidvania puzzle box in a way where you just get to experience those seven days repeatedly and learn the ins and outs of everything that's happening. There are a lot of games that have done this, but it's weird to see it in a Boku no Natsuyasumi specifically kind of game where like you are encouraged to just kind of hang out and do whatever. And you still can, which I think is even weirder. Like even though there is this kind of larger plot, Shinchan is like stoked to just be able to hang out in this town forever. <laughs> um, and it almost feels like an answer to the people who say that the Boku no Natsuyasumi games take uh, like are, are just too short in general. Like there, there's a a lot of i think pushback on those games being like only 30 days you know and it goes by so quickly despite being the point of the game people want more out of it and the shinchan game i think kind of bucks a lot of trends that the franchise has because it is both shinchan so it's you know more cartoonish there's literally a, a, a button um if you press either shoulder buttons it uh it's called the butt only alien and and shinchan turns around and like just kind of like shows his butt to the camera and when you do that you can also fly around the screen so instead of walking <laughs> you like sprint around like it's very cartoony and he like he mishears every, i mean just like the the manga and and the anime but like he mishears everything and is constantly making like weird jokes constantly um so you just have like a very different vibe but on top of that it's also bucking the trend of like being purposefully about the nostalgia of this time and it becomes about something completely different and i i'm enjoying it a lot replaying it um because i'm i've now played a lot more of it than i did the first time uh and and i'm just happy to have it that said the reason that i'm playing it is that i picked up the new boku no Natsuyasumi game because it was only released in japan uh again they did not localize it and I was really interested in playing it. So I I picked up like a physical copy of it. I have it sitting in my switch right now. I started it up and I was like, I'm going to hold up the Google lens camera and I'm going to (laughs) like translate the whole thing. And like that just didn't work at all. But the thing that was really interesting to me is that it's another kind of bucking of the trend of how those games usually work, because usually they have uh, fixed camera angles and you run around. It's like kind of Resident Evil-y. It's like almost tank controls kind of thing. And this new one that they released, it's called Natsuman 20th Century Summer Vacation, I think. It's supposed to be a 20th anniversary kind of like celebration of the franchise it also pushes it into a kind of new territory where like rune factory four to five it is moving from the fixed camera angles thing to a full 3d explorable space with a lot of breath of the wild influence which is interesting so you can like climb on top of houses climb on top of trees like climb wherever you want you're just like a you know rambunctious kid running around and climbing whatever you want and that sounded really interesting to me is like 
kind of a new avenue for that game to go. I didn't really get to experience it, and I don't know how I will yet, but being unable to play it made me want to go back to Shin-Chan um, and just be like, okay, I want to experience this. The weird thing about all of this is that this all happened, obviously, while I was in Japan. I was in Kumamoto, which um, is kind of one of the more southern areas of Japan, and it's where my friend Andy lives, um, which if you've listened to no script at all. The previous uh, Terrace House podcast I did, you know who Andrea is. Um, but we were staying with her and just I was just like talking about Boku no Natsuyasumi and I was like, oh, I want to get this new game. We were like trying to figure out a way to like go find it, like what store around here had it. Um, and then I, I started playing. I was like, yeah, I can't do it. And that got us talking about the Shinchan version, which she downloaded and I also downloaded. Um, but while she was on the Switch page looking at it, she was like, oh, look at this and pointed to her partner at, at this one screenshot that contained this bear who's named Kumamon. And Kumamon is one of the most famous mascots in Japan. Uh, a lot of the a lot of the uh, prefectures of Japan have their own mascots. And Kumamon is like, you've definitely seen Kumamon before. He's like this big, it's like a big black bear with uh, like bright red cheeks and kind of like a like a empty gaze. And he has a big smile <laughs> and he's always like hands in the air, just like stoked. And Kumamon is everywhere in Kumamoto. And while she's showing this her partner, she's like, this is kumamoto like this game takes place in kumamoto and we were like oh that's pretty weird and and you know i turned the game on and i was like oh yeah it, it starts in kumamoto station which is like where i was earlier that day when i started playing it which was really bizarre and the town that you go to is called aso a-s-s-o which is supposed to be like ass o uh which is just supposed to be like a joke but is actually based off a real place called aso a-s-o which is uh. where there's a very famous volcano which is also the thing like we went to aso the day before as well like i was in the town that this game takes place in like wow. not realizing that this game i had played like two years earlier had actually taken place in the same place that I was standing in currently. Um, and you can like in the game now that I'm playing it again, like you can see the rail car that like takes you up to the top of the volcano in the background. Like you can see the volcano. You can you can kind of like get a little bit of the idea of what it's like to be in Kumamoto weirdly by playing this game. And I think that's one of the main driving factors for me personally playing it again right now is just this connection yeah. to the trip that I just had. And I, I'm finding myself doing that a lot. Like I started playing Tokyo Mirage Sessions again just because it takes place like mainly in Shibuya Crossing, um, which is just like a cool place to be I, I think yeah. like you know it's not a place you're really supposed to hang out it's supposed to be like a transitory space but like once you see it once you've been there especially like in comparison to a place like Times Square which is like you stand in there and you're like why am I here this is all just Times Square is like the ultimate facade yes. you know like I, I love New York uh, I got the t-shirt but I just <laughs> feel like that sorry uh, like that's like the place where I think a lot of tourists want to see and then you see it and it's like five ads for like coke and red lobster yeah. and like you know the minute you go 10 blocks in any other direction it's more interesting yeah i was i was talking to a friend of the show brendan yesterday we were just kind of walking around before a movie we were going to go see and I, I was talking about um just like when i'm doing street photography usually i'll go to Times square to warm up because like most people who are there are like there's an expectation that you're probably gonna get your picture taken in Times square if you're there um sure. and usually when i'm walking around and i'm like taking pictures of the tourists and stuff you get like one of three moments you get them them being stressed out, making their way into Times Square. You get them looking around in Times Square in kind of bewilderment, realizing that it's all ads. Or you get the third and final step of this journey, which is maybe regret 
having been to Times Square. Like those are yeah. those are like the three phases of I, I have found tourists visiting Times Square and being like, maybe we should go do anything else. Also, there's a 50 percent chance they are exiting Penn Station from uh, <laughs> New Jersey Transit, which I that was my commute in 2013. I worked at an art gallery and had to commute from Jersey like every day and specifically walk through Times Square, Same. which like yeah. if you ever wanted to cosplay as a tarnished that is what you should do. You should specifically when it like Penn Station actually just got like a glow up recently. They like redid a lot of it yeah. and it's kind of amazing. They got rid of all the seating though. Yeah. But for the bulk of my time there, it was under construction like forever. Yes. So it was like the like a big puddle was my landmark to like emerge out of the underground. Yeah, I had, I had, the, I had the same commute for a couple of years before I moved here. I broke my foot in Penn Station twice, which I think uh, says a lot. I, I got good falling down because the, the town we lived in, no one salted the sidewalk to the train station. Yes. The amount of times I had to like help people up yeah. on that sidewalk in particular. Anyway, uh... <laughs> Sorry, you, you, you awoke a lot of memories. No, I, that, that's the point of the segment. <laughs> and now we officially overloaded the jersey. We're going to get sued by Bruce Springsteen. Or <laughs> anyway, I, I just I just have found myself playing a lot of games that take place like in Japan and in Tokyo just to kind of like I find that when people ask me how the trip was, I have a hard time remembering it because it feels kind of like dream adjacent already. Like it just sure. feels like this like wild thing that I can't believe that I did, especially after like years of wanting to go. So I'm like trying to recapture it in a little bit. So I like playing a little bit of Tokyo Mirage Sessions here, playing a little bit of uh, Persona 5 Royal here. Oh, nice. And playing a lot of Shin Chan, me and the professor on summer vacation, because I think the experience of going from a place like Tokyo, which is... Um, it's a mega city you know i mean it has like i think it's either three or seven times the amount of people in tokyo that are in new york like in the new york metropolitan area and you feel it when you're there i mean like every, every single building has like five levels of establishments before you get to the residential side or like the offices and stuff it's like the verticality and the amount of people is just unbelievable it's an unbelievable thing yeah and the experience of spending a week there and then going to a place like kumamoto which is more rural you know, it's not like totally rural, but it's more rural than Tokyo, at least was, I think, really eye opening for me. And it was like this huge breath of fresh air, specifically like sitting in the back of a car and like kind of being driven around this place and seeing like farmland and mountains and like some of the most beautiful valleys I've ever seen in my life. I'm finding that going and playing Shin Chan, me and the professor on summer vacation, despite being like cartoony and silly, is a really lovely experience in terms of getting my head back into that space, especially considering I have now moved you know, I've, I've now come back to a city and I am like commuting into the office every day. There is something to be said about that more like kind of slower experience. And I, I think I'm connecting with the franchise in a way that I haven't before. Well, it sounds like you got a taste of that sort of shared nostalgia yes, for that place exactly. by actually being there. That makes a lot of sense. I'm glad you had that experience. It's interesting because I feel like, you know, if there is, and obviously this is generalizing, but like if there is this kind of like shared nostalgia and desire to like live in the country when you're living in a city, I feel like in the US we're almost conditioned to resent the other. If you're living in like, I feel like a lot of rural areas. Like, I think there's a lot of like, I there's, a lot more, there's a lot of politics around that, right? Like sure, there, there's literally right, yeah. a lot like that debate, I think, is manufactured by politicians in a lot absolutely. of ways. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think you were kind of trained to resent and think little of the other place yeah we might have more in common than we think uh anyway uh <laughs> but yeah i uh that's awesome i've always wanted to make that trip and i think it is also helpful to like you know as you connect with 
art that is specifically about that nostalgia to like get a piece of of the reason why and the reason why people have that connection yeah yeah it I, it does make me wish that the other games were localized you know i really i really would love to go visit some of the other ones but even though the game that i'm playing currently is like a sillier version that maybe doesn't capture the entirety of the spirit like i think just so specifically being set in the exact place that i visited is really working for me <laughs> in a way that like i'm not gonna like wholeheartedly recommend crayon shinchan me and the professor on summer vacation to everybody but if you just happen to have the same vacation that i just did uh boy will it connect i don't want to like nickelodeon slime that very like sincere piece of audio but i'm sure i was thinking like has there been any piece of media that has like been in somewhere i have physically been like intimately mm. and i thought of the show on comedy central strangers with candy that was filmed in our high school <laughs> and like that's the only piece i had i didn't know that yeah the third season there are multiple episodes they have they're in the auditorium and the band room in the third season of strangers with candy no way early colbert cult classic yes amy sedaris a legend obviously oh my god yeah i have to i have to check that out i can't believe it <laughs> yeah so just a, a hot tip for you okay uh i also think ff7 is inherently a jersey game but you know that's another episode as well <laughs> yeah that's about the bridge and tunnel crowd <laughs> yeah but thank you for sharing that i hope too that i hear more about your trip and bits and pieces over time as you're able to kind of process it yeah yeah that's a good point i think yeah maybe uh maybe when i play more of one of those other games i'll bring it as well uh or it will awaken memories when i when i get back into the like a dragon franchise maybe maybe that'll oh happen. yeah totally uh you want to take another break yeah let's do it i am so excited about the next segment i love new york <laughs> <laughs> i'm so sorry i don't know what's come over me <laughs> bye-bye there's a pressure valve. You, you need to release it. I get it. Every now and then you just got to burst. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck this. Bye-bye. Brendan. Steven. You said it at the top of the episode. It's October 1st, which means spooky season is here. Uh, we're going to talk about some either Halloween-esque or straight up horror games uh, every week in October. I'm excited to explore the games we have uh, for today's section. For today's seasonal celebration, uh, I'll uh, I'll lead us in. I feel like we've kept this going largely just because of how goofy that like public domain Halloween song AJ found is. I love it. For it's amazing. Anyway, yeah, it's incredible. We're here. It's Halloween season. Actually, it's not like August 15th and we're putting up zombies in our yard. It's October 1st. And we're also going to announce our bonus for this month. Usually for the October bonus, we like to have it be also kind of like October-y. So like we've done the Luigi's Mansion trilogy. Uh, you know, we, we tried to do like either a horror game or kind of a Halloween game. Uh, we did the Batman games once, which I think was a was a fun that was awesome. That was I a, loved doing that. Was a that was a fun October bonus. Yeah, it was. It's nice to do, like, for people who are maybe a bit horror averse, it's nice to find one that, like, fits the mood but isn't, like, explicitly horror. Yeah. Which is actually kind of... I would say this is maybe a little closer to horror than the Batman trilogy, but our bonus 
for October is going to be The Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask. Yes. No one guessed it. We were like, it was, I thought, I thought it was very clear. Not I to think shame we've anyone. straight up said it on the show before. We've said it on the show and I think definitely on a few streams, <laughs> but we also release a lot of long episodes. So it's true. Uh, it was just funny. I saw people in the discord guessing. I'm like, no one. All right. Uh, it's Majora's Mask. So excited. We're both going to be playing the 3DS version. I've played and completed the N64 version many times. I may actually play a bit of that too, just to kind of like remind myself what the exact differences are. It is worth noting the 3DS version is like a little bit more changed than the Ocarina uh, 3DS remake. But overall, I would say like from what I've played of the Majora's Mask 3DS remake, it's like you're going to get the bulk of the same experience, if not a little bit easier to get into. When that was released, I remember it just seemed like one or two YouTubers kind of changed the entire conversation about the Majora's (laughs) Mask 3DS remake to just be so overtly negative. I think just like upset at some of the changes, making the game a little bit like easier and more approachable in a lot of ways. Just like adding some quality of life stuff that I think was necessary, honestly, for re-releasing the game. You know, what I appreciate and I'll give credit where credit's due, like Nintendo did release Majora's Mask onto... So like you you can go play the original still. Uh, so it's it's nice to kind of have both, even though I guess technically you can't play the 3DS remake now legally unless you have yeah. a 3DS. But, I do know there, there are a couple changes that are like beyond quality of life improvements that I know are like somewhat divisive, but... We'll get into that as we play it. Um, yeah, but I'm really, like, I'm really excited for you to experience it because you haven't really played much of it, right? Like you've started a couple times. Yeah, I've played it. like an hour to two hours of it total, I think, ever. Um, I've tried playing the original. I tried. I bought the 3DS remake when it came out, and then just didn't turn it on, which was I don't know why I did that because I didn't have any money at that time. And uh, I have also played like a patched high res version of it a little bit on on android as well um and in all of those cases i never really got super far in but i'm really excited you, you mentioned this last week when we were just talking about it off the show but i'm just like really excited to get the 3ds in my hands again and just like keep playing that system me too i like weirdly miss the 3ds a lot so it'll be nice especially as like a commute game i think it'll be fun to just like have my 3ds in my pocket i think that'll be really yeah it's talk about something having a concrete end uh it is interesting (laughs) how the game does kind of like give you a hard limit on how long you can play or at least when you have to start over it's only ever really stressful if you're like doing a dungeon because usually the side quests the way it's very much like I mean, it's kind of become the blueprint for a lot of like time loop games like the Forgotten City or Outer Wilds, where like there is a set schedule for a lot of characters. So one of the earliest quests, like there's like a big boulder that blocks a path and there's someone like working on clearing the way and they're not done until the third day. Mm. The moon the moon will crash into the earth in three days and destroy everything. <laughs> one of the darker Zelda games. So until you get like an item that will just let you clear it whenever you do have to wait for the third day to get to that point. So it's a lot of stuff like that, where it's like you're kind of beholden to time until you can have more power over navigating the environment. I think you'll really like it. I mean, I think it's weird. Like Majora's Mask is definitely like, I think a cult favorite amongst the Zelda entries. It's definitely amongst my favorite. I think I'm curious to revisit it and see where it lands for me again, because like it is a game that I think I admire more than I enjoy playing necessarily. Yeah. But um, I mean, as a kid, I was obsessed with it. Like I remember when it came out, I remember I rented it, which added to the, 
three days stress because I only had it for like three days. It, you know, it was like in fifth grade and I rented it. And then when I had to give it back, I remember just playing Ocarina of Time and doing the Happy Mask Salesman quest in that game, pretending it was Majora's Mask. And then I made my own masks and brought them to school. But uh, yeah, I I really, I, I think that's, the game is just so distinct from the rest of the entries. It's like very creepy and it's very thematically rich which I think is why it's like stood the test of time in a lot of ways. And in some ways, I think, you know, there's always the argument of it versus Ocarina. And I think, again, it's one of those sequels where like, like kind of like Chrono Trigger to Chrono Cross, I think the best way to follow a hit is to get weird, you know? Yes. Like, so anyway, more on that on the bonus. I'm very excited to play that. Yeah, that's going to be so fun. That, that's, I, I really love when I get to cross a game off my like bucket list of games Yeah. Uh, via these bonuses. I mean, kind of like what we were talking about last week with Final Fantasy stuff. Like this is a game that I, I think without the I don't want to say pressure but I'll say pressure why not without the pressure of the bonus it's a light pressure I don't know if I would ever play the game to completion so it's nice to know that like now is the time yeah I I think you'll love it I mean I think you know you hadn't played Ocarina before we did that bonus and honestly that's one of my favorite episodes we've done and also that was such a great experience for both of us to play that for the first time and to play it again the game's so fucking good I think if you like Ocarina you'll like Majora Majora's Mask is like a disturbing reflection of ocarina in a lot yeah. of ways and as you and longtime listeners of the show know i'm definitely a sucker for the weird sequel yeah i i i think there's a good chance you might like it more yeah anyway more on that at the end of the month but for today's spooky season section we've got two games for you i have played mortal kombat one which came out recently. Yeah. This is ac- I think it's actually 12 in terms of mainline entries. Such a silly name. It is the reboot of the universe. Uh, let me let me just bring you in with this. <laughs> when you turn on Mortal Kombat 1, you cannot skip a cutscene that plays. You have you can skip it once you've watched it once, thank God. But the first time you play the game, you can't skip it. And it's Liu Kang who has become God recreating a new universe and explaining how he did it and you have to watch it (laughs) and i truly felt like i was being brainwashed i'm like yeah this makes sense (laughs) (laughs) i was really i was kind of excited for this game i've never really been as into mortal kombat as pretty much any other fighting series like you know i i had mortal kombat 2 on the super nintendo growing up and i think i mean mortal kombat was such a moment in the 90s especially in in the midst of like yet another great tim rogers video about doom i think he kind of explores this era very well uh where there was just like this kind of edginess to games at this time and and the marketing of that but i think what i've always liked about mortal kombat is that it is really goofy like i think the conversations around at the time were how violent it was but like the first three games are like inherently funny you know just the way it's like done it's camp it's pure camp i think the series kind of lost its way a bit in the early 3d era where i think like it kind of went from camp to like actually trying to be edgy there are one or two games in that era that are pretty fun i remember liking there's one that made like chess you could play mortal Kombat chess that i was like weirdly very into (laughs) but that's another episode but there was this kind of like you know there was an era where mortal Kombat kind of fell off and it felt like maybe that was just sort of a time and place like maybe it's like better to move on um and then they came out with mortal kombat 9 in 2011 which that was the last mortal kombat game i played and like loved i loved that game that game came out around the same time as street fighter 4 and that was very much like 
the big revival of fighting games. Mm. You know, that was when I was in college and I got really into Street Fighter 4, really into Marvel vs. Capcom 3. And then when Mortal Kombat came out, there was this feeling that like they were recognizing the series had kind of lost its way and kind of came back with this almost like Tony Hawk Pro Skater 1 plus 2 approach where it's like, okay, we're going to reboot the franchise. We're going to have this game retell the stories of Mortal Kombat 1, 2, and 3, include all the characters, but also like really invest in making it like a competitive, viable fighting game. And it rules. Like I, I That's another game you just can't get anymore. It's, it's not on any online store it's likely because freddy krueger is in it truly oh. that might be like the reason because he was one of the dlc characters i think you can still buy uh either a ps3 or a 360 copy of it and i don't think they're super expensive but you may not have a way to play those games without having those systems still mm. which is a bummer because i actually really wanted to play that and see like how does it feel alongside one you know like how yeah. far has it come because I played nine, I played that game a lot, and then X came out, and I didn't get it, but I played it at a friend's house. I'm like I liked it enough. I think it, was, I thought it was pretty cool, but it didn't have that like revolutionary feeling of of nine to me, where nine really felt like they had acknowledged where fighting games were at and really asked like where does Mortal Kombat fit into that. So, but since then, I, I think the series has done a good job, like sticking around i mean 10 was well received 11 was also really well received and i, I kind of just missed it like that came out early on into our show i think it was 2019 when that game came out yeah came out on switch too which i think it did like weirdly well on switch which yeah i never would have expected yeah so 11 was a hit and also i think it's worth pointing out the injustice series also being like a big you know series for this i love the injustice games yeah i'm such a sucker for those games i really think since mortal kombat 9 they've really like earned their place amidst the like competitive fighting game you know series like tekken and street fighter like i feel like they're all kind of in the same realm yeah. i obviously prefer some of the others but they do feel different and i do think mortal kombat is like i would guess mortal kombat is the game that is most thinking about new players because I do think there's like an appeal to Mortal Kombat of like, oh, yeah, I, I know these characters. I know it's going to be like wild over the top violence and like kind of like Looney Tunes meets like it, uh, itchy and scratchy kind of fatalities. <laughs> yeah. So I was curious to get Mortal Kombat one, not necessarily because I was like pumped to get back into Mortal Kombat, but I was mostly just curious, like having not played much of 10 and totally missing 11, how getting into this like new reboot would feel. And it feels like a really good Mortal Kombat 9. <laughs> and that, that's kind of the best <laughs> and worst thing I can say about it is like, I do think it feels great. Like, I, I think it plays really well. I haven't obviously played much of it yet. It's a very new game, but I would say I have at least like a handful of hours in it. And I did, I did like the classic arcade tower mode uh, with Melina and Kano. Great. Had a great time with that. I did one online match and got destroyed and <laughs> had less of a good time with that and i also started the story mode and i'm on the raiden chapter and i'll talk about the story in a bit but in terms of how the core game plays like it definitely feels like iteration over you know completely rethinking the game which i have to say for how much they've broadcasted like Liu kang made a new universe and this is like the second big reboot of this franchise i did kind of expect more of an overhaul so i, yeah. I, I did feel a little underwhelmed by that 
and I do find like I think uh, I think it was Ed Boon, one of the co-creators of the series, who said that like one of the reasons why they wanted to reboot it was because like they got so in the weeds in a time travel story that it like wasn't worth making sense out of. <laughs> which I kind of appreciate that, but anyway, um, the way it plays mechanically. Like it definitely, it has that kind of like, I don't want to say stiffness, but like everything has a lot of weight to it. Like mm. the way Injustice plays and the way a lot of the Mortal Kombat games, modern Mortal Kombat games play is like everything has a lot of like um, impact and every move is very readable. You know, I think like that's one of the benefits this series has, I think, for new players is like all the attacks kind of like really visually broadcast themselves in a way that you can kind of like I think more quickly realize how to deal with Sub-Zero shooting an ice beam at you yeah. over like, uh, you know, Chun-Li kicking you a million times in the face, you know. <laughs> and the other thing, too, is that they added the big like new mechanic for this is cameo, which, of course, is with the K. Any opportunity that they can have a K start a word they have taken. And it's so funny. Good. good. Yeah, it's um, perfect. Yeah. No notes. So the cameo characters, essentially, whenever you play the game, you choose who you're playing as and then you choose like who they're partner is so there's a little bit of like a marvel versus capcom system going on where like as you're playing the game there's like a cooldown of your partner and you can tap one of the shoulder buttons and they'll like pop in and do a quick move um to help you out but they also have like depending on which buttons you press they have multiple moves they can do and you can also they brought back the x-ray moves which were like these kind of special moves where you like would you know, punch someone in the face and then it would show their skull like shattering yeah. or whatever. Um, so like you do those together, which is kind of fun. It was funny that they like popularized that because it was it was weird when that showed up in other games that weren't Mortal Kombat after Mortal yeah. Kombat had done it. Like I remember <laughs> I, there was like a boxing game, like a very like standard boxing game that added that. And it was like, I don't need this. That was, <laughs> I don't need yeah. this in this someone game. was like, this game was popular for this specific reason, right? Yeah. Throw it in the game. Like, I, what is it? The, um, oh my God, those sniper games. I just forgot the name of them. Oh my God. What are they called? I keep thinking American sniper, sniper elite or something. Sniper elite. I think, I think yeah. you're right. I think that's it. Also do the same thing where like when you shoot people, sometimes it'll like do the almost elder scrolls slow down where you get to see exactly where the bullet goes, like through somebody's body, like through x-ray. I'm like, I don't need that. <laughs> yeah. No, thank you. They're just sort of there in my opinion. Like I do think it's fun to have those like, uh, over the top. And I think it's moves. great in mortal Kombat. I just, it's yeah. just weird that it became like the norm in other, <laughs> in other franchises. Yeah. Why is this in Mario golf? It was like when every app started, adding a stories mode it's like I don't, I don't know if i need that in you know x i don't need that yeah. in like excel yeah exactly <laughs> hey guys i'm still here anyway uh so yeah i think i think like as and, and all the characters feel really distinct and i also like a lot of the redesigns some some i like more than others but overall i think like the game looks fantastic and it plays really well and i think it's definitely like a lot of the reviews have been like yeah it's like it's good it's another good entry of mortal Kombat. yeah i i do think there's definitely a discrepancy between Liu kang making a new universe and this being very much like the next mortal Kombat game mm. so all that's great i definitely want to play more of it it has not eclipsed street fighter 6 in terms of like my go-to fighting game i didn't expect it to honestly yeah, right and that's the thing about street fighter 6 is like i think street fighter 6 really benefited from thinking about new players and kind of onboarding them in the single player mode and also like the many tutorials and that's something that mortal Kombat i think has done for longer mm. which i think is why i think um it might feel less intimidating to get the new mortal Kombat than the new street fighter for some newer players 
if I had to guess. Yeah. So all that's cool. Uh, the one thing I'm like kind of eh about is they've definitely adopted a sort of Fortnite battle pass. And there is so like there's a lot of character customization, which I do like. So you can customize your character's weapons, their costume. There's a costume for Johnny Cage called Johnny Illinois, where he looks exactly like Indiana Jones. <laughs> I mean, this game has been out for like a week and there's already like a year's worth of like seasonal events and DLC. And to be fair, a lot of it is just in game. Like a lot of it is like you just get coins with a K uh, that you can give to a shrine and you'll get a random item like, oh, I got concept art or oh, I got like a helmet for Melina or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's fine for me. I don't mind that at all. And I, I truly don't really feel the need to like get that stuff. But it does trouble me where it's like the deluxe version of this game is like a hundred dollars and yeah like, I, I just looked it up while you were talking it's a hundred and ten dollars and like all this like so basically there's stuff there's the coins you just get by playing and you get items from the shrine i don't know if like the items that are in the fortnite shop you can also just get by playing or if those are like exclusive to the store but there's like another you know in-game currency you can buy for all that stuff and i just i think you and i are like pretty we try to be fair about recognizing different business strategies. And like, if a game is free to play, they do have to make their money in some capacity. But when a game is like full priced, I don't know, this stuff really rubs me the wrong way. Yeah. This is also a $70 release. It's worth noting. This is not like they're not sticking to the $60 price tag. Like yeah. this is $70 for the base game, $110 for the like deluxe edition. And then they also have the battle pass and all the in-game currency stuff. Thankfully it's like not, I think there are some characters. Like I think Shang Tsung is DLC. Thankfully, the roster feels like big enough that I don't feel like the game was like like it's not like a Street Fighter five where it was like Ryu and Ken and everything else is DLC. Yeah. Or even Mortal Kombat 10. I remember it was like day one Baraka DLC. I'm like, you're charging me five bucks for Baraka. Like, come on. Like, yeah. Baraka should be in. He's like the most standard dude to play as, you know, like I just I don't know why that rubbed me the wrong way, but like. That was also in an era where they were just trying. I mean, like early to mid 2010s, they were just seeing like every company was like, what can we make DLC and what can't we make DLC? Mm -hmm. Um, And now we're very much in the Battle Pass Fortnite model. And it's just it just kind of leaves a bad taste on off because I know they're expecting you to play online, seeing a character you like decked out and cool shit. And then you want to spend money. Yeah. And like, I don't want to feel like the game I'm playing for fun is then suddenly just like subtle advertising for spending in-game currency in fairness street fighter 6 is doing all the same stuff they just don't have the battle pass right like they still have the in-game shop with in-game currency like you're still playing online and seeing that kind of stuff that's true but the difference is that like and you're totally right i mean there actually is a battle pass it just makes no sense so people forget about it oh yeah i, I didn't even know that it was there it's mostly for the like world tour stuff for like your player avatar and yeah there i mean you and i both did the chipotle promo <laughs> to get costumes in sure that game. Did. so like i but they I, also so like in in the in the battle hub they now have a space that's like a sponsorable space you know that's like hey what brand wants to take over like this part of the battle hub the, uh, the thing was like with street fighter 6 and again i'm not trying to be like a capcom fanboy but like every character had two costumes 
Yeah. And a lot of them you could get just by playing and like or buying a burrito. Yeah. yeah, they were buying a burrito. The DLC is like kind of being developed over time. I just think a game launching and having this much stuff paywalls. Totally. Yeah. It's it's a little I mean, I think it's critiquable in both cases. I think you can definitely criticize Street Fighter Six for also being a full price game that has these ways for people to spend more and more money when they shouldn't have to. But you know, I think with the fighting game, like I'm happy to buy the the new characters as they come out like, mm-hmm. i was happy to have a guilty gear i think i think like if the game is getting continuous support i'm happy to like support the game in that way but there's obviously like case by case and there's a line you can cross it's not a deal breaker in Mortal combat's case i don't feel pressured to do it it's just like disappointing to see yeah so overall i'm enjoying the game i have played some of the story mode and i'm just kind of confused so here's here's the thing it's a new universe and What's really fun is that I think like a lot of these characters, whether you have played a lot of Mortal Kombat or not, are really recognizable. Like mm-hmm. everyone knows who Sub Zero is, everyone knows who Scorpion is. This game is being pitched. It's like here's a new universe and it's a different universe. So there's sort of like a what if aspect to the game. And every chapter is devoted to a different character. Some of them I've really enjoyed. So the game actually opens with Shang Tsung, who is famously like one of the big villains of the series he's mm. kind of the low-key he's like a trickster sorcerer that always fucks shit up and he said he's also the one dlc character yeah, yeah he is yes yeah <laughs> but uh shang Tsung, it opens with him like basically being a snake oil salesman and the crowd like turning against him and i think if you're familiar with that character you expect him to do something like really cruel or powerful once he's been revealed but he just sort of gets his ass kicked and then, you know, it cuts back to him, like, living in this hut, and he's, like, not doing well. And it's, I guess, implied that, like, Liu Kang knows that Shang Tsung is always the guy that fucks shit up, so maybe, like, have him get the short straw in this universe. <laughs> uh, but then, of course, someone shows up and is like, you're destined for greatness, let me help you get there. And I, I kind of, it was a fun moment. Like, I think it was a good way to open the game, where it's establishing, like, okay, these are the characters you know but they're in a different situation and maybe they're going to get a glimpse of where they could be and try to get there. Mm. The thing is, I wish there was more variety because like the next chapter is with uh, Kung Lao and Raiden. And in this game, Raiden is just a guy. Like he's not the God of, of earth realm that he once was Liu Kang is. So their roles have kind of flipped, which I think is fun, but like, that is a fun idea. The writing is very hit or miss for me. Some scenes I'm like totally into it and I love it. And then some scenes feel like I'm watching like a really like awkward improv scene where they're like, hey, how are you today? Pretty good. You know, the thing that's important to both of us. And it's like, (laughs) uh, but overall, it's like fun. And it's also short enough that I'm like, I need to see it through. So, so far I've seen uh, the Kung Lao and Radiant chapter. I enjoyed a lot, actually, like. Um, they have like a fun friendship and Kung Lao, I think is my favorite character so far in like the story mode. Mm. He's got a lot of personality and is like very like cocky. I did the Johnny Cage chapter, which like, I just find him unbearable in this game. Like I know that's his shtick, but like, he's like, how am I going to make a cinematic universe out of that world if I haven't been there? And I'm like, oh, like hearing a joke about a cinematic universe in a game published by Warner brothers just like kind of made me churn a little bit, you know, it's like. It's like, this is what you're doing in the game, though. You know, you can't, like, joke about the thing you're already doing. Who did they get to voice? Didn't they get somebody famous to voice him also? Maybe. I mean, the voice acting is fine. I just, I find, like, he's usually the comic relief, but I just find, like, his story and moments to be, like, kind of brutal to get through. There's two voice actors. Sorry, I just looked it up. There's two voice actors. 
Uh, one of them is is a guy named Andrew Bowen, who I think has been voicing him for a while. And the other person is Jean-Claude Van Damme, who is also voicing him at the same time somehow. Oh, that must be for because there's a skin you can get that just makes him Jean-Claude Van Damme. Oh. So that must be it. <laughs> OK, that's funny. Yeah. The story. Mo- the thing is, like the frustration I'm feeling is like I feel like the story is simultaneously trying to do like an MCU thing. Like it's very clear they are going after that tone or yeah. like. A lot of the jokes are like, wow, that guy has glowing eyes, you know, and Mm -hmm. then like basically the story has been like Liu Kang going around as like, hey, you need to join the Avengers, basically. Like you need to join like the Earth Realm Warriors. And that's like a fun framing device. Um, I just find like I like Mortal Kombat when it's pure camp. You know, I don't know if I want it. Like I, I appreciate that the series has like grown up a bit in a lot of ways like i think you know the character design is like definitely more mature like i think there was definitely like a dead or alive aspect to it in the past that i'm like glad is behind us yeah but i just think like i don't know if i want it to be tongue-in-cheek i like when it's taking itself very seriously Mm -hmm. and then it becomes camp because of that so i find and i also think there's a weird disconnect between this sort of like action comedy tone of the story and then you cut to these like brutal fatalities that are aren't really present in the plot and i just wonder i'm like i i feel like a lot of the mortal combatness is like just because that's what the series is known for and they like they can't not do fatalities that's like the thing that the series does but yes. they almost feel like at odds with the game they're trying to make and i kind of wish it was like more over the top consistently because it feels so jarring when you go from like this like comedy scene with johnny cage then seeing melina eat someone's brain <laughs> and like i re- i think i enjoy the game most like i, I definitely want to see the story mode through because i i did beat arcade mode with melina and the ending i got in the arcade mode was really intriguing in terms of what her role is in the story because usually she's like the villain she's like the evil twin sister of katana but the game seems to be taking like a slightly more sympathetic view of like the tarkatans and like the sort of scorned residents of outworld so i'm most curious how the katana and melina story is in the main story mode like i want to get to outworlds and see the weird shit because i'm sick of earth realm earth realm is always the worst part of the story i want to get to outworld uh so overall like i know I'm, i'm being a little bit all over the place but like i just feel like tonally the game can be a little confusing but like just playing it either in arcade mode or with friends or online I think it's a great time. So I am happy I checked it out. I just, I I do think like the marketing of a total reboot is maybe a little bit misleading and the story I find a little bit like all over the place tonally. Yeah. And they, I I saw they added a bunch of like weird cameos also. Like they have, what's his name? Homelander from the boys. And I think Omni-Man from Invincible is in there. And then also, um, Oh my God, what's that John Cena show? Peacemaker. They added Peacemaker also, which is just like a weird collection of dudes <laughs> to throw into that video. Game. Well, I mean, to be fair, like I think uh, Mortal Kombat 9 and 10 did that as well, where like, they had Freddy Krueger and like uh, Jason in it. Doesn't but that make the, more sense though? It in does a lot of though, ways. yeah. <laughs> and that's what I mean. I feel like that's why I cringe at the Johnny Cage joke about multiverse. I'm like, it's very clear that maybe like multiverses is in MIA and they want this game to be like, we've rebooted the universe so we can incorporate all Bugs WB yeah. properties. <laughs> listen if they put bugs bunny in the game and i can see him like take a huge hammer 
and brutalize Sub-Zero. I'd be into that. Yeah, I would buy the game if they put Bugs Bunny. <laughs> That's this is not a joke. I like I would purchase <laughs> Mortal Kombat 1 if Bugs Bunny is one of the playable characters. But yeah, overall, like I, I think it's a lot of fun. I'm definitely enjoying playing it. And it's also nice to like I'm most curious about like, like I'm really excited for Tekken 8 to come out and just to see like how are these like kind of most recognizable fighting games? Like what is what is their approach uniquely? You know, Street Fighter 6, I think, had a big comeback to make after 5. And 5 had sort of, like, gradually won back a lot of people. It's, like, one of the one of those, like, redemption stories. And then 6 came out and is, like, this huge hit. Yeah. I'm curious what Tekken 8 will do, if it will kind of also be more of an iteration. Or if it will think about new players in the same way. But yeah, Mortal Kombat 1 is cool. It kind of makes me want to check out 11. But I don't know if I need to now, since I have this. <laughs> I'm just really curious if they'll ever put Mortal Kombat 9 back for sale because i would love to revisit that game too <sighs> probably not right freddy he ruined it freddy freddy fucked it up but yeah probably not i'll have to buy a ps3 and then buy the disc <laughs> which i probably won't do i wonder i mean you could probably get the the xbox series x right because that has a disc drive and then you can get the 360 version that's true i just don't know if it's if it's worth that but i'll, I'll <laughs> there are a few other like 360 games that are just not for sale digitally that like i wouldn't be against having that option yeah so I'll, I'll i'll think about that um i just don't know if it's worth spending all that money for it yeah it's a good question anyway it's mortal kombat one i might bring it back if i get further into the story and feel differently mm. or if i play it way more and notice something new but that's overall how i feel about it i think nice. it's fun it's a good game should we take a break before we get into my spooky season game volume one we could do a quick break I, that went longer than i expected all right uh, let's do it bye-bye I'm not sure what the spooky season break music is, but I am so excited to find out. I don't think we've ever taken a break during it. So well, I'm, I'm thrilled to see what AJ discovers in the public domain. <laughs> I think I am excited to find out also. Um, hey, I played a game. It's just a scream. Like, ah, it comes back. <laughs> anyway, uh, another WB property. Um <laughs> I play. I played a video game for Spooky Season. It's it's actually before before I even get into it. You and I were talking a little bit before we started recording this episode. We were talking a little bit just about like releases of of the year, specifically how like November and December have kind of become no man's land, which is really I think in stark contrast to like growing up playing video games. It was like November was the season that everything came out because everybody wanted to be like the big holiday game. And I just think that's not the case anymore. I think like so many, so many developers and publishers have like moved out of November to not compete in November that now there just is no big November month. Like Call of Duty still comes out. So like for the Call of Duty people out there, like you still get your November Call of Duty game. But even like Assassin's Creed, which I would normally consider to be like a big November release is coming out in October this year, for example. Like it's just strange the way things have kind of flipped around um and one of the weirder releases of the year for me i mean i it, it didn't hinder my enjoyment of it literally at all but was resident evil 4 remake which came out in like march uh which i just thought was like a weird time for that game to come out um especially considering they were doing so much press and like dlc and stuff about resident evil village still it was weird in in the midst of all that to be like okay spring is upon us you know what that means leon s kennedy is back i think village also came out like in may or something i, I remember yeah. specifically waiting for october to play it yeah and a actually on that note one of the games that you and i were talking about checking out maybe for spooky season is is the dead space remake as well which came yeah. out in january <laughs> yeah it was like one of the first big games which i guess like you know 
the cold vacuum of space and the cold, harsh months of winter, like there is a little bit of something there, but I don't know. Why not release in October? Anyway, uh, I think to give Capcom credit, they've done the most brilliant thing possible, which is release their big game at a time where there's not much competition because we were still months away from Tears of the Kingdom uh, when Resident Evil 4 remake came out and then remind people how great it is by releasing your big DLC in the same year just before October comes. Uh, so there's a big DLC pack for, for Resident Evil 4 remake, uh, called separate ways, uh, that just released and I have been playing it and it might surprise you to learn Steven that I have not finished it yet. This time. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not coming fully prepared. I just didn't have enough time, but I'm like definitely over halfway into it already. And, and this was actually part of the original game too, yes. right? It was like one of the post game things you could do yes so when you when you beat resident evil 4 you unlocked a thing called separate ways which uh if you if you don't know a whole lot about resident evil 4 you play as a guy named leon s kennedy who's trying to save ashley graham who is the president's daughter from a cult uh who you know got some resident evil zombie shit going on with them they have worms in their brain that tell them that they are true souls and uh, yeah but actually yes you're it's right. actually pretty um, every game is Baldur's gate 3 now to me that's true but, uh, um yeah. Throughout the course of the game, though, you run into an old acquaintance, you might say, of Leon's uh, who's named Ada Wong. And Ada kind of just shows up in like random moments, um, you know, says something cryptic and then leaves. Uh, And in Resident Evil 4 separate ways, you get to play as Ada and find out what she was up to throughout the course of the story. It's very and this is maybe a reference not for everybody, but it's very Lion King one and a half. If, you, if, I, there, if there's ever a drinking game for a podcast it's when that comes up if it comes up often enough for some reason that i i always kind of half expect it it's I just love, the best it works yeah it's just the best example of this kind of storytelling well because there's not a word for it there's not a word for like a present sequel where it's like it's happening at the same i mean i guess it's like rosencrantz and guildenstern are dead where it's like <laughs> there's another show happening during the show yes but it also i mean i think it's Ada first showed up, I believe, in Resident Evil 2, yes. because in that game you could play as Claire or Leon, and then there's a point in the game when you shift to a different character. I remember in, <laughs> when my dad and I stopped playing for the first time because we just got like so lost. When you play as Claire, you eventually have to play as a little girl who only has an AIDS spray and a picture of her family. Oh and God. we were both like too boneheaded to know what to do. We're like, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I guess we just stopped playing. <laughs> the only way to win is to not play. <laughs> you know, kind of. But it was really horrific. But uh, yeah, um, it is awesome. And yeah, you're totally right that it's basically like it's the same events of the campaign, but from Ada's perspective. Yes. So you you technically start separate ways in in the original release. You start separate ways like before Leon even shows up, which is interesting and and start to influence Leon's story in ways that you didn't even realize were happening while you were playing the original game, which I think is just like brilliant, fun storytelling. Um, and as I've mentioned a lot on the show and definitely mentioned when I first brought Resident Evil 4 to the show uh, or the remake, sorry, uh, earlier this year, like Resident Evil 4 is probably like one of my most played games ever. Like I, I played through the story mode on the Wii 40, 50 times somewhere in that vicinity. Like I just couldn't put it down and I just like loved learning the ins and outs of it and unlocking everything there was to unlock and going into separate ways was also 
kind of a ritual for me. Like I would at a certain point, I got I got to the point where I was like playing through the original story, then playing through separate ways. And I would just alternate back and forth between the two of them over and over again. Just had like a really good time doing that. So I kind of know the ins and outs of it. I'm I'm surprised to find and maybe I shouldn't be considering the way the remake worked. I'm surprised to find that separate ways in this game in the remake is like totally different like completely different than it was in okay. the original and it's all in ways that i appreciate i think because I, I mean just like in the original you start separate ways before leon shows up uh so you have some stuff that you have to go do ada is is on the hunt for Luis. Uh, who you might remember if you if you played the remake, but Luis is uh, just like a cool guy. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't, don't want to say much more about what Luis's vibe is, but like he's a guy who's got some important stuff going on. And Ada has been sent uh, by somebody else. Who I won't say for spoiler reasons. Has been sent by somebody else to find Luis, uh, and and is on the hunt for this guy uh, who has this thing that's called the Amber, and and she just wants the Amber. Uh, and, and is trying to find him. And, you know, it takes you, you start off in the castle instead of the village, which is fun. You start off in the castle, kind of like breaking out of the castle to try and sync up with Luis and find out where he is. And immediately they change the gameplay pretty dramatically because Ada has a grappling hook that you can attach to a bunch of different That's things sick. and just zip around the world, which is so exhilarating because you know a big part of resident evil or the resident evil 4 experience if you play the original definitely in the original is like your mobility isn't quite that high like you you can move around a lot more than you can in you know resident evil 1 2 and 3 but you're still pretty limited a lot of that game is about stopping where you are and shooting and then you know moving to a safer position then stopping where you are and then shooting yeah you're always going to be outmatched in some way it's really about like strategically thinking of how to use your resources and like navigating the space as effectively as possible yeah exactly it's thrilling it's a timeless classic for a reason and i and i think despite adding to the maneuverability in resident evil 4 remake they still did a really good job recapturing that fear Absolutely. because the enemies yeah. move a little bit faster and they're a little bit more unpredictable than they used to be in the original game as well so what you end up having is like Yes, you have gained more maneuverability to kind of meet like modern gaming AAA standards, but also the enemies have kind of risen to match that. Um, so you still get a great balance. Ada starts off with a pistol and a submachine gun, which are like good weapons to start with. Don't get me wrong, but you do feel a little bit outmatched, especially just starting in the castle just with a pistol, like a starting pistol and a starting submachine gun. And the first thing you have to do is just escape the castle and the castle is filled with dudes because again this is before leon's even been there this is before leon has even shown up you know head leaned against a window you know wondering wistfully about what's going to happen when he saves the president's daughter you know with, with, <laughs> with the two police officers who were chain smoking in the front seat um like way before that happens so ada is like fighting a castle packed to the brim with dudes just like, oh, here's our first intruder, you know, and that's when they introduce the grappling hook to you, which I think is a brilliant move because it just means that they are putting you in the mindset of like, you are not going to be able to fight every guy all the time immediately. You know, you're going to have to be a lot smarter about positioning than you were before when you're playing as Ada because she is like smooth, calm and collected like she like her vibe is just like consummate professional she will kick ass and she will do it and make it look easy. Yeah, she's not phased by the zombies like at all. Yeah, basically. Yeah, at least when you see her as Leon. So 
I was kind of shocked when when I started playing the game and it was like, oh, I got overrun and died almost immediately, you know, because there are just <laughs> yeah. so many guys coming at me from ways that I couldn't even like figure out. And and again, like you are playing through the same environments, which I think is another one of the smarter, more interesting things is like you're coming at a, a, an environment that you maybe know well from a different perspective. And I think one of the cool things about the way Separate Ways starts in the remake is they start you off in what is literally the mercenaries level for the castle. So like if you've played the original game multiple times, like I have at this point, and you've played a lot of mercenaries, which I have at this point you actually do know that layout really well but the question becomes like how do i make my way around here and escape the way they want me to escape because in the mercenaries level obviously there is no escape the whole idea is you just fight enemies until there are no more and then in the in the main game you're coming at it from an entirely different way and there's different stuff going on there's like catapults shooting at you and you have to take out the catapults in different ways and that is also happening in this to be clear like the catapults are still there because you take them out as leon later so you're not taking them out as ada early on you know and that means that you need to use your one new maneuverability resource very well. That means you need to be using your grappling hook to kind of zip around, look for the anchor points because they make it very, very visually obvious where the anchor points are. Because as you get closer to one, there's like a big kind of like turquoise blue crosshair that just like slowly starts to fill in as you get closer and closer to a thing you can grapple to. And then you press a button, you grapple up. Uh, it's great. Um, and when you grapple up and say there's an enemy at the top of that grapple point you will just kick them in the face or just like rock them that's amazing. which rocks on top of that if you are able to stagger an enemy from afar like if, if you can like take your pistol out shoot a guy in the head or like shoot a guy in the, in the leg or something and he like kind of leans over and, it, and is stunned which is a thing that does happen in the main game and usually means you can like run up as leon and like use your knife to just like stab them in the neck and just kill them they won't spawn the big like head terrifying worm thing whatever if you're playing as ada and you stagger somebody you can use your grappling hook on that person and zip to them and roundhouse kick them as you're grappling towards them which fucks it rocks every <laughs> single time it is so fun it is so cool but also while you're doing that it does the same thing that leon's roundhouse kick does where it'll take out every enemy in like kind of a, a big swoop so you have these like two main things that are adding or that are aiding the game's mechanics because of the grappling hook you have the ability to escape from tight situations and you have the ability to take out large groups of enemies from afar before they can even get to you it does mean you need to wade into them but if you're able to stagger somebody and then grapple to them it means you get to take them all out and then just keep running uh which is i think wonderful on top of that is just like seeing the rest of the story from ada's point of view is just great um i love the voice actor that they got for Ada for this game. I think I think she's new, if I'm not mistaken. And I maybe she was in the Resident Evil 2 remake. I'm not really sure. I didn't get that far. But she's just so good. Like she she is so able to just keep that like very almost flat, like I've seen it all before. I can do anything yeah, mentality. Totally. And I think it just aids her vibe so well. Like I loved Ada in the original Resident Evil 4. I thought Separate Ways was like amazing. It was like such a cool piece of that game. And I think just like Resident Evil 4 Remake, they just have managed to make it better again. And I think a lot of that also comes from the fact that they've just ballooned Luis's character's importance in Resident Evil 4 Remake, especially versus the original. Like Luis was in the original, but he wasn't he wasn't as present as he is in the remake. Like he yeah he's much he's more, more fleshed out. Yes, he's yeah. a much more fully fleshed character. He's got a lot more going on on like mentally he's he just is a guy that you run into a lot and having having ada and him interact in particular is really fun because they made Luis a little bit more cartoonish in the remake so having him kind of be the foil to the like monotonous 
energy that Ada is bringing, you know, because she's like trying to play it cool at all times. Having Luis be like, this is crazy, though. Like, this is yeah, yeah. this is not OK. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think is a really, really good uh, is a really good pairing to have. Um, on top of all of that is, you know, just the ways in which you loop into and out of Leon's story. Like I have gotten past the point now where you like meet Leon for the first time in the castle. Like when you're playing as Leon and you're in the castle, Ashley's been taken and you run into Ada for the first time and they have this like fun little like knife battle where they're both like, ah, you're still, you know, just as good as you used to be. That meeting is really fun. But on top of that is just like all of the moments in which you cross paths with Leon and Leon had no idea in the like hours before that. Like there are so many moments that you don't realize when you're playing as Leon that Ada was actually like helping you out in some ways. There's one really obvious one where like um, the, the village chief you know, picks up Leon by the by the throat and is like about to kill him and, and Ada shoots him through the window. And it's like very obvious that that's Ada. But there are a lot of other moments that you don't realize that she was like kind of secretly influencing his story behind the scenes. And um, they've added more of them in, in the remake, which I think is really wonderful. She also just like doesn't care that much, which is really fun. Like, it's really fun to just have moments where she's like, I don't know, he'll be fine. He's Leon. Like He's done this before. Yeah. Like, I'm not, I'm not too worried. But uh, all in all, in all I, I just I'm having the best time with it and I can't wait to finish it. And I maybe I'll come back and talk about it when I'm done with it. But uh, it's just really, really good. It's like it. I was a little bit nervous that it was going to come out and not really be at the same standard as the rest of the remake, especially coming out so soon. Like it was clear that it was in development at the same time. That sort of happened with Village, too, where the DLC was a little underwhelming. Yeah, a lot of people didn't really yeah. connect with it. Like I haven't even played it and I loved Village. Um, yeah, me too. <laughs> but it just it seemed like this could have been a slam dunk and it like really is a slam dunk. And I'm, I'm just so happy to have separate ways back and i'm amazed it came so quick but one of the things that you and i were talking about again before the show was this idea that maybe one of the reasons that more games aren't coming out in november and december is literally just because of like goatee consideration and like the game awards has become a more i would say important thing in the world of games to a lot of people so releasing a game in like late november or december kind of means like you might get lost in the shuffle and you might like be eligible next year quote unquote especially if it's a bigger game yes you know that takes longer i mean honestly resident evil 4 is one of the shorter like triple a games in terms of its structure it's kind of meant to be replayed and it came out in March, which means that a lot of people had that, like me, for example, someone who loved it and played it multiple times. Like I had my time with it in March and April, and then it was like done for me. You know, it was like, okay, I'll probably replay it one more time for Goaty, maybe. Um, but having this extra bit of DLC come out towards the end of the year is just like, hey, reminder, this game is incredible. Yeah. Is I think just <laughs> amazing timing, along with obviously coming out in October. It's great though. It's it's so good. I I you should play it. You're gonna really like it. I definitely will. Yeah, I mean I I think it says a lot to the confidence of the game design that like in mercenaries mode, the game plays well and distinctly as several different characters. Yeah. Like that was also, I think Vi village did this well, where we often said that that game was sort of like a, a moose bouche of resident evil games where like you had certain chapters that felt very just like pure psychological horror. Some were more resident evil Four. some felt almost more like call of duty mm -hmm. where it was like, pure action and mercenaries mode playing as like krauser is a totally different game than leon or louise yeah you know and i think it also like all their play styles fit their character did they add ada to mercenaries yeah they added DLC? ada and another character i don't know who the other one is hunk too um <laughs> but uh yeah i mean i think both narratively and mechanically being able to like you know use this base game to tell additional stories and have it all work 
is really amazing. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. I think Resident Evil Four, the re- like, I I love the original still, and thankfully it's widely available. Unlike many games we brought up today, yeah. Resident Evil Four, you can get truly wherever you want, and it's like gonna be good. The remake, I think, is like a new gold standard of what a remake could and should be. Yeah, um, because I think it it captures everything from the original, but it takes opportunities to like make new things different changes it feel they feel like they exist alongside each other yeah and i i, I don't even feel like it's just because I, I think you know part of the conversation could get lost in the idea of like oh they're just modernizing it and i think a lot of it goes past that even i think a lot of it is like they improved on what a lot of people consider to be a perfect game in a lot of cases and i think that's that's such a hard thing to do you know it's such a hard thing to do and to be able to do it again you know even in a smaller scale with you know dlc like this but like i don't know probably like at least six or seven hours, you know, the, the, the separate ways DLC, like it's not, not tiny and they they managed to do it again. I think that's amazing. I also think it's, it's worth remembering that like, I think sometimes when we, when we say, I mean, at least for me, like we can say Capcom or Konami or Namco and it's like, we almost subconsciously reduce them to like a singular organism. Yeah. When in reality, it's like, I would guess the amount of people that I'm sure there's some crossover of people who worked on the original Resident Evil 4 and the remake, but like this is generations apart, yeah, you know? Right. And I think for for a company the size of Capcom, I truly don't want this to be a Capcom ad. I just I like a lot of the games they make. They're hot right now. I think really understanding your own legacy and also seeing the opportunities that are ahead of you is like such a tough balance, you know? Especially with with a game as sacred as Resident Evil 4. Again, this is sort of like a Final Fantasy 7 remake to a lesser degree but still is like this thing you almost kind of don't want to touch like a skyrim remake you know yeah which i'm sure was going to happen in 20 minutes but uh, well, the oblivion yeah. remake we know is like probably coming which i feel similarly about now that i'm curious about for many reasons but i almost don't that's a whole other conversation but i feel like oblivion <laughs> is like the flaws are why i'm playing it you know mm. like that's almost like maybe don't fix it because it broke in a beautiful way <laughs> you know <laughs> Uh, anyway, I'm really happy to hear the DLC was awesome. I definitely will play that before uh, game of the year. It's so good. Um, yeah, I am. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm curious now that we're talking about it to see what they're doing with Resident Evil nine whenever that comes out, because it feels oh, it feels yeah. like, you know, seven was obviously kind of a return to form for a lot of people. And then Village was just spectacular. Like Village was really good. But as you mentioned, was a little bit like, an, as you said, an amuse-bouche of Resident Evil. Like, it was just kind of pulling from a lot of what made other games successful, specifically Resident Evil 4. And, like, we we posited while we were playing Village and talking about Village for the first time, like, is this just a warm-up for them to remake Resident Evil 4? Which ended up being true in a lot of cases. And it makes me wonder, now that this game is obviously very successful, like, people love it, it how much of that is going to influence Resident Evil 9, you know? And, like, how much are they going to try and make it its own thing, or how much are they going to follow the footsteps of what yeah. they succeeded with with 4 Remake? Some of the more critical reviews of 4 Remake have asked, like, what's next? Which I think is a fair question, because I think we're at this point... Even though, you know, Capcom has like struck a deal with with a forgotten DD and has like fully resurrected all their series yeah. like to perfection. It is worth noting that like, OK, like the Biohazard was like this big, fresh step forward. And then pretty much most of the games since have been remakes, which have been like noticeably different from the originals. Like I think the remakes of two, three and four, even amongst themselves, all feel like different approaches to a resident evil game yeah and i think resident evil village you know also felt like it had that like several different approaches within one game Mm -hmm. so i honestly think like i do wonder if maybe there's like gonna be 
either like a sort of like fork in the road where there might be like Resident Evil games that just fully follow this sort of like action hybrid of four. And maybe we might see ones that are more like that one sequence in Village that are just pure horror. Yeah. But they've proven they can do both. I wonder if we're going to see them like kind of splinter off and each become their own series or if they're just going to do like a Final Fantasy thing where it's like every entry is going to be a little different. We're going to focus on something a little bit different in each one. I kind of hope that that's the case. That's what I that's what I hope, too. And honestly, I'm I'm pretty confident right now in like Capcom's current like gold streak. I'm kind of comfortable to seeing them surprise me. Yeah. I will say I was in Tokyo while Tokyo Game Show was happening and didn't get to go. Uh, just I honestly didn't realize it was happening until like right before the trip. So just didn't plan any time for it. But one of the big games at Tokyo Game Show this year was Capcom showing off Dragon's Dogma. And like they had a playable demo of Dragon's Dogma oh too. And the hands-on experiences that people are coming away with with Dragon's Dogma 2 are like, it is everything that you loved about the first one, but better again. Like Capcom really has just figured out how to take these franchises and like bring them back in a modern setting in a really like smart, calculated way. And after playing Village and after playing Resident Evil 4 remake, I'm just I'm just kind of like blanket, do whatever you want with Resident Evil 9. Like I'm sure I'm sure I'm gonna connect with something, you know? Yeah. There there are some times like in a big series where i have a more like specific idea of what i want from it yeah and in this case like i I just want to see what they want to do yeah (laughs) i kind of fully trust them uh we'll see i mean you know one of our cursed ideas is to do a resident evil 6 journey at some point just to see what happened so i've never actually played that game and i kind of want to now and there is like i think there is there are some like cautious defenders of it so i do wonder if there's like something to enjoy there but yeah you know available on the nintendo switch Maybe another spooky season episode soon. Yeah, I think the one the one lingering question for me for the rest of the year is if I'm going to play Resident Evil 4 remake in VR before the year is over. Oh, they they said this winter, which could mean 2024. Uh, That's true. But uh, I do want to play that in VR. I'm really curious about. Oh, it. yeah. Speaking of like Q1 blockbusters, uh, Final Fantasy 7 remake part two rebirth. Yeah. In February. <laughs> what the hell? Yeah, that used to be where people like released games they weren't sure about, you know? Yeah, we also have Like a Dragon Infinite Wealth in January. There's so much stuff. There's so much stuff. Persona 3 Reload is also in February. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm excited for that. Yeah, a lot of the um, preview coverage of that game has been really positive, which I'm happy to hear because as you and I mentioned, I think in the last episode, like it's a little bit of the monkey's paw curling situation when it comes to Persona 3, but I'm just going to be so happy to like have a modernized version of that game to play. I still think it's like, yeah, I'm still happy it exists. It's just, it's kind of like a Rune Factory. It's actually quite literally like Rune Factory 3 special where you can't play as the female protagonist, but she did exist this time. Yeah. You know, she was in the game. They just chose to not include her. I mean, maybe there'll be DLC. Yeah, I was just about to say, if they release DLC like at the end of 2024, I'm going to be so upset. (laughs) Yeah. Or the most cursed version was you say there's going to be like another, like, here's reloaded, remastered, you know, Royal, (laughs) reloaded, Royal. Royal, has yeah. everything oh boy P3 but R-R. honestly like i i finished persona 3 uh early 2022 then we did a patron bonus with our friends alana and callie about three four and five and while i think four and five are overall more enjoyable games to play i think three has the best story like i think the final message of three that's like delivered in the finale i felt the most moved by of the three games and i'm glad more people will get to experience that more easily. Yeah. That overall is a net positive. It's just like, you know, it's something that it it just has been like such an obvious, like just take Fez and 
you know, P3P and kind of give it a best of both worlds game, you know? Uh, and we kind of got that. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> but anyway. Uh, why don't we wrap up? Yeah. Do you have any other stuff you want to shout out for spooky season that you're thinking about checking out? Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I think next week I'm going to be playing a game called Milk Outside a Bag of Milk, Outside a Bag of Milk, which I'm excited to play. Not Inside? Uh, there's another. Well, that's the game before. I might do both because apparently the first one is really short. Mm. So Milk Inside a Bag of Milk is the first game. Right. And then the sequel is Outside. Yeah. Maybe I'll do both. But I have that on my backlog. Definitely the Dead Space remake at some point. Yeah. Uh, I know we were talking about that. There's a lot of stuff I, that I just have that I haven't even opened. So I think it's I, honestly one of the biggest thrills and it's kind of boring, but I, and this sounds like almost kind of spoiler. I have so many games, but you know, anyone with a steam account knows this feeling where it's like I've impulse bought so many deeply on sale games. I mean, this would be cool one day. Yeah. I need to actually sort through that and see what I want to play this month. Yeah. Um, same. How about you? I think a game I bought like two years ago for spooky season and never played was, um, the Famicom detective club, the girl who stands behind. Oh yeah. I think you played the other one. I played the other that, one. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I've always wanted to play the horror focused one. Cause I heard that that one is like way better also. Um, so maybe I'll check that out. Talk about another, that. another Halloween game that came out in like January is Paranormal site. Yeah. Which just shout out. Like that game is one of my favorite games that came out this year. Uh, if you're looking for like a Halloween visual novel, it's incredible. And it's out on mobile. So you don't even have to have a switch to play. You can play it on yeah, your phone. Exactly. Play um, it on your commute. Play it. Uh, don't actually have a, don't play have it a on scary your time. Don't play on it on your subway. <laughs> you don't need any more fear on the subway. Okay. With that, why don't we wrap up? Sure. Thank you so much for listening into the cast that online is our website that has links to all our various social media pages as well as our discord which is a lovely place we also have a patreon if you want to support us directly thank you to everyone who's able to do that uh, we have some really exciting plans for the patreon in the near future and yeah our upcoming bonus will be majora's mask that's available for everyone and that's kind of it anything else i'm missing or anything you want to shout out here I'm going to posit this question to you. Yeah, what's up? Do we just say no more Twitter? Oh, I didn't, I, that wasn't even on my radar. Uh, I, To be honest, I've been like so offline in general. Yeah. I've just been feeling more over the past like week or so. I'm like, maybe, maybe just no more Twitter. Let us let us know. I'm actually curious. I would want to hear from the audience about this. Yeah. Like, I think, uh, you know, the, the thing for me is that like, and for us in general, that's where the bulk numbers wise, that's where the bulk of our following is. Yeah. But I don't genuinely know if that's like actually where people look anymore. Yeah. We're on Blue Sky and we're on Threads and we're on Tumblr. Uh, yeah. So you can and just normal Instagram also. So you can follow us in all those places. I just I have found I, I don't have I don't have Twitter on my home screen anymore, but I still have to keep it on my phone so we can still update the Twitter. And I'm like, maybe maybe we just don't anymore. I need more data. Pers I, I would love to be free of X, truly. Yeah. Uh, but I also don't know if that would actually do if it, if it would be a disservice to people who do follow us there. That's a good point. So I think I think I need more data. I think tweeted us tweeted us if if you if you want us if to you be want there us still. to stay yeah. on X. Yeah. Otherwise, but I would also encourage you to follow us elsewhere because I do think whether or not we like delete our Twitter or our X. Yeah, I don't think we'll ever delete it. We will be trying to be more active elsewhere. Yeah, I, th I think it has felt noticeably better to be. And those other spaces that on Twitter these days. Totally. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Uh let us know about that. But into the cast it online, still the place to check for all of our stuff. Yeah. And if you join the Discord, also there's like a bot that posts new episodes whenever 
they go live also so truly yeah I, honestly we said this before i think the best place to like be in the loop for us is the discord yeah no pressure to post you can just lurk but that's where i think you'll find like probably too much information about what we're doing <laughs> so yeah uh, into the cast of online and uh my name is steven hilger you can find me at steven hilger and steven hilger art in various places not just x how about you brendan yeah i'm brendan bigley uh you can find me on every platform as at brendan bigley cool nice i almost just did eye of the duck sign off i almost just said and the next time keep your eye on the duck that's our friends <laughs> do podcast. it no I- <laughs> bye-bye <laughs>